Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I will now call the meeting to order. Please refer to the meeting agenda that has been provided to you and post it also to our virtual meeting site. The time is now 1.49 p.m. Pacific time and I declare that the polls are now open. We may discuss our business outlook and make forward-looking statements. Such statements are predictions based on our current expectations. Actual events or results could materially differ due to a number of risks and uncertainties, including those disclosed in our most recent 10Q file with the SEC. These forward-looking statements represent our views as of today. They shouldn't be relied on after today, and we disclaim any obligation to update them after today as well. Ah, I'm relaxed. Are you guys relaxed? I am so relaxed after that intro. <sighs> Today is going to be a momentous day. This is going to be the pinnacle of this podcast. And it's going to be full of hyperbole and uh, probably out and out lies by me. But just so you know, it's going to be the best podcast I've ever done, which is probably a lie. It's actually going to be a really long podcast, to be honest with you. And I made it even longer because I was like, I want to do something special for the beginning. So I created that intro, which took way longer than it should have. More than 45 minutes, if I'm being honest with you. 
Yeah, not a great use of my time, but hopefully you liked it. So yeah, we're going to talk about Battery Day and the annual stockholder meeting. This is going to be a long episode. The download, when I downloaded this episode, it said it was three hours long. and I almost started crying, to be honest with you. But after I started getting into it, 30 minutes was just, you know, the time leading up to the stockholders meeting. So it's just music and nothing. So I got to cut off 30 minutes directly from the podcast. Um, you can probably hear my son screaming. <laughs> that is that is not a banshee. That is my son screaming in the other room. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry. Oh, my kids. He's like, Daddy's going to go to do a podcast. Can you guys play on the main floor? Oh, yeah, sure, absolutely. And they are literally outside the door playing. I, I should have said nothing, and they just would have been where they normally are. But that's okay. It's Friday, and they just got out of school, so I can't really blame them. Anyway, long episode, so I'm going to put chapter markers in. The chapter one will obviously be the shareholders meeting, and chapter two will be battery day if you're interested in either one of those things or both things. It's just kind of easier way to navigate it. But before we get into our main event, I want to thank our Patreon supporter of the week. And I haven't done this for a few weeks, but I want to thank our Patreon supporter of the week. And this week it is Karen. I have a special place in my heart. Karen is a very smart cookie. She's very well informed on the EV community and just a lot of things in general. I enjoy having her as part of the kilowatt slack. She has great information. Um, she's just a really nice person. And I'm glad that I've gotten to know her a little bit over the last couple of months. So Karen, thank you very much for supporting the podcast. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you. I also appreciate everybody else who supports this podcast at kilowatt.com. Sorry. <laughs> my children. My children. Uh, I also appreciate everybody who supports this podcast at patreon.com forward slash kilowatt. <laughs> I don't know if you guys can hear that, but there's only two of them. Sounds like there's 30 of them. Okay, moving on. Um, the thing that I like this week, and I haven't done this for a while, but the thing that I like this week is shark vacuum cleaners. So I bought a shark vacuum cleaner when we bought our house two years ago. We use it pretty much every day. Um, we have tile floors and, and children. You just have to vacuum up a lot of stuff when you have tile floors and children. And um, it broke. And I called Shark. They walked me through some simple um, troubleshooting steps because it wouldn't power on. And the guy's like, okay, cool. I'm going to send you a new one. No big deal. He didn't ask me for my receipt. He didn't. He asked me a rough date of when I purchased it. And that was it. He's like, I'm going to send you a new one. I just need a couple bucks for shipping. And you'll get it in five to ten days. Now I still have to buy another vacuum because we can't wait five to ten days. My 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 house will will fall down if we don't vacuum in that amount of time, five to 10 business days. But I appreciate they're sending me a vacuum and it was no hassle. It makes a big difference. All right, let's jump right in. Obviously, I'm not going to make you guys go through the entire bat battery day and annual shareholder meeting. So I just kind of picked out some simple things here and there. The first thing we're going to hear about is the proposals that shareholders needed to vote on. The first proposal was a simple majority voting, um, make arbitration between Tesla and employees public, 
and then human rights. Uh, there was also another proposal in there for advertising, but that person did not present. So we're going to hear from the gentleman who talked about simple majority voting. And actually, I thought all of these had really good points. So let's go ahead and listen to that now. The second stockholder proposal is an advisory vote regarding simple majority voting in our governing documents. Our board has recommended that our stockholders vote against this stockholder proposal. The proposal comes from James McRitchie, who is on the line to present the proposal today. Mr. McRitchie, I would like to invite you now to present. You'll have three minutes. I'd like to thank the board for holding such an innovative hybrid meeting during these difficult times. Proposal number five basically asks for a majority voting standard to amend bylaws. I first introduced a proposal on this subject at the 2014 Tesla meeting. Supermajority provisions are generally used to entrench incumbent directors and managers. Academic research finds that reducing such devices is associated with higher returns. The board's opposition statement argues they tried to adopt a majority standard last year, but shareholders rejected it. However, 99.6% of shares voted for the proposal. Only 0.4% voted against it. The problem was that a little more than 35% of shares went unvoted. The vast majority of retail shareholders often don't bother to vote. Since only 65% of shares were voted, we didn't achieve the 66.67% necessary to overturn the current supermajority bylaw. It appears the proposal failed primarily for three reasons. One, the board put forth less than robust arguments in favor. Two, they added confusion with another proposal to reclassify the board not into a single class, that's the norm, but into two classes, elected in alternating years. Third, the board also failed to make a substantial effort to solicit votes in favor. Also, please consider this proposal in context with other poor corporate governance provisions at Tesla. First, shareholders can only remove directors for cause. What that basically means is the director has to be caught in criminal activity for shareholders to remove them. Second, because the board is divided into three classes, shares, shareholders can only hold individual directors accountable every three years. And third, shareholders cannot call special meetings, nor can act by written consent. I hope you will agree, corporations should not be democratic free zones. Vote for proposal number five, so that 33% of shares cannot overrule the wishes of 67%. Thank you. Now, this seems like a very reasonable proposal to me. I honestly, I could see why the board wouldn't want to vote this in. But honestly, it just seems like a really good thing for the shareholders. All right, next up, there's a proposal to make arbitration between employees and Tesla public information. Uh, normally, I would say that this is something that probably needs to be private because it doesn't involve, does, excuse me, it does involve an employee. But if you're the shareholder in a company, uh, 
you should probably have uh, an idea as to what's going on with the employees and the company itself and making sure everything is fair. But let's listen to this proposal. We'll now move on to our third stockholder proposal, which is an advisory vote regarding reporting on employee arbitrations. Our board has recommended that our stockholders vote against this stockholder proposal. This proposal comes from NIA Impact Capital, whose representative, Kelly Hall, is on the line to present the proposal today. Ms. Hall, I'd like to invite you to go ahead and present. You'll have three minutes. Hello, my name is Dr. Kristen Hall, and I'm the founder and CEO of NIA Impact Capital. I formally move proposal six. This resolution requests that Tesla Board of Directors oversee the preparation of a report on the impact of the use of mandatory arbitration on Tesla's employees and on its workplace culture. The report will evaluate the association of Tesla's current use of arbitration with the prevalence of both harassment and discrimination in its workplace and on employees' ability to seek redress should harassment or discrimination occur. This proposal speaks to the widespread experience of discrimination in the workplace by Black, Latinx, and female employees, despite this discrimination being unlawful under the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Tesla has faced a number of serious allegations of racism and sexism at its Buffalo and Fremont plants. Companies that allow bias, discrimination, and harassment in their workplaces are at risk for unnecessary legal, brand, financial, and human capital issues. Support for this resolution is warranted for the following five reasons. One, research shows that companies benefit from diverse and inclusive workplaces. Two, corporate policies that allow harassment and discrimination risk investors' capital. Three, the use of arbitration exposes investors to an unknown level of risk. Four, Broad concerns exist with respect to fair treatment in Tesla workplace, and Tesla employees have alleged harassment and discrimination on the basis of both race and gender. Tesla, a company investors love for its innovation, leadership, and wise mode, is increasingly lagging behind its peers in its disclosure related to workplace diversity, equity, and inclusion. Unlike the forward thinking and innovation in its Extraordinary product lines, Tesla has not shown proactive leadership in building a positive company culture or in addressing concerns about its workplace practices. In these material issues, Tesla lags behind its technology and automotive competitors. The use of arbitration limits employees' remedies for wrongdoing, precludes employees from suing in court, and often keeps underlying facts misconduct or case outcomes secret, therefore preventing employees from learning about and acting on shared concerns. Simply stated, arbitration allows bad corporate behavior, like bias, harassment, and discrimination to continue, hidden from employees and investors. To maintain Tesla's wide moat, it is essential that the board seriously assess the implications of the use of arbitration and that Tesla begin to seriously Take seriously the need to ensure a fair, equitable, positive, and inclusive workplace. Thank you. This may come as a shock, but the board has recommended that you don't vote for any of these proposals that we're talking about today. So 
Anyway, uh, moving right along on this, our next one, they're going to talk about human rights and most specifically, more specifically, Tesla being more proactive in uh, human rights and, and child labor in the supply chain. So let's hear that. Our fourth and final proposal is an advisory vote regarding reporting on human rights. Our board has recommended that stockholders vote against this proposal. This proposal comes to us from the Sisters of Good Shepherd, New York Province, whose representative, Terence Collinsworth, is on the line to present today. Mr. Collinsworth, I would like to invite you to speak now. You have three minutes for your proposal. Thank you. I'm Terry Collinsworth, Executive Director of the International Rights Advocates. I'm here representing the Sisters of Good Shepherd, New York Province, to present Item 7 on Human Rights Disclosure, which calls upon Tesla to issue a report to describe board oversight of human rights and its human rights due diligence process, including systems to provide meaningful remedies when human rights impacts occur. Tesla faces serious human rights issues and failure to establish a culture of respect for human rights will expose Tesla to, to new liability issues and significant reputational injury, all of which will have a material impact on the company and its shareholders. The need to set a new course for human rights compliance at Tesla is glaring. Here are five examples of human rights violations occurring now in Tesla's operations. Racism, sexual harassment, and disregard for human safety and dignity harm workers at the Gigafactory 2 in Buffalo, New York every single day, and those workers urge you to remember their experiences in your vote. Tesla has experienced serious labor relations issues at its production facilities and is actively discouraging union organizing. Workers are being exposed to COVID-19 and then are facing retaliation when they ask for greater protections. There are numerous worker health and safety violations as well as wage and hour issues. And finally, there are serious, even deadly human rights violations occurring in Tesla's global supply chains. On this last issue, my organization brought the pending suit against Tesla for using cobalt mined in the Democratic Republic of Congo by young children. I personally met young boys who lost limbs or were paralyzed in cobalt tunnel collapses. Tesla sources cobalt from these very mines, and its claim to have, quote, zero tolerance for child labor in its supplier code of conduct is simply not true. Tesla is not only tolerating child labor in its cobalt supply chain, it is tolerating the death and maiming of young child miners. This demonstrates why the company must circle back and begin a process to report on its treatment of human rights issues as requested in this proposal. I think consumers will have zero tolerance for a company that is exposed as being indifferent to killing and maiming child minors. We are hopeful that Tesla's innovative spirit can be brought to bear on making human rights a priority at the company. 
For example, if Elon Musk cared about implementing a zero-tolerance child labor policy, instead of having a useless paper policy, Tesla could employ satellites or drones at every mine it sources from to actually monitor child labor. I encourage all Tesla shareholders to vote for Item 7, Human Rights Disclosure. Thank you for your attention. This particular proposal has kind of caused a stir in the media. And, I mean, once you listen to it, you're kind of like, yeah, I can kind of see why it would cause a stir. I don't think that Tesla is out there picking suppliers that use child labor. And I do think that Tesla has you know, uh, contracts that say that they can't use child labor and they need to use fair labor practices and things like that. I, however, I don't know how well Tesla enforces those things. And it's not to say that Tesla doesn't. It just, I, I don't know how well they do. I have no idea who their suppliers are, suppliers are. And honestly, I wouldn't know how to go about looking for them. That's a job for somebody who does, who's really good at investigative journalism. It's not me. However, I hope that Tesla is using suppliers that are responsible when it comes to child labor and, and uh, human rights, and then also, obviously, fair labor practices, because that's really important to me, and I'm sure it's really important to a lot of you listening to this. Okay, next we're going to hear some stockholder comments, and the gentleman who's presenting this whole thing, he's just going to read them. At this time, I'd like to thank our stockholders for all of their active participation in today's meeting, and for those who just presented on the line. I'd also like to read some of the comments that have been su submitted by you over the course of the meeting. The first comment comes from Michael Overbaugh. I take great pride in the fact that we haven't had to stoop to the level of what advertising represents to get where we are today. I'd hate to give in to that kind of temptation now when we're so close to becoming a household name that's based solely on our merit alone. But if assets do end up having to be set aside for marketing, I'd like to suggest that rather than shoving ads down the customers' throats, we establish some sort of hardcore nationwide campaign and event with the goal of getting as many people as possible behind the wheel of a Tesla for an introduction drive. It's well known how far just doing that alone goes to converting people into fans. A line I recently ran across says, you can talk all about the specs as much as you want, but when it comes to buying a car, what ultimately puts butts in seats is the feeling that the vehicle gives you. By demonstrating that Tesla clearly has both the specs and the feeling, what more needs saying? Our second comment comes from the United Steelworkers on behalf of the Clean Air Now Coalition of Western New York by Sabrina Liu. Proposal, and it reads as follows, Proposals 6 and 7, up for vote this year, are the results of widespread concern about mistreatment of Tesla workers at U.S. factories and across the supply chain. It is clear that Tesla is not interested in addressing the harm they have caused to their workers as their board is advising shareholders to vote against the proposal. We're urging all shareholders to vote in favor of Proposals 6 and 7. And on behalf of our workers at the United Steelworkers here in Western New York and for Tesla employees across the country and across the, glo the global supply chain, while this doesn't repair the harm that's already been caused to countless employees 
nor repair harm to children and communities forced into slave, slave labor in the DRC. They represent steps towards a more just workplace at Tesla. And finally, we're going to hear the voting results. I declare that the polls are now closed. So based on the proxies that we have previously received, I'd like to announce on a preliminary basis that our stockholders have approved the recommendations of Tesla's board on all agenda items other than the stockholder proposal for an advisory vote regarding simple majority voting in our governing documents. After the final tabulation is completed, we'll formally announce the results of the voting by forming, filing a Form 8K with the SEC within four business days of today. This now concludes the official business of Tesla's 2020 annual stockholders meeting, which is now adjourned. All right, that takes us right into Elon's opening remarks. These opening remarks are very long. So I'm going to put another chapter right here so that you don't have to listen to the whole thing if you don't want to. It's about 16, almost 17 minutes long. Uh, I have it broken up into three clips. So if you would like to see me back on the other side here in the first clip, which is a year in review, I'll see you in 11 minutes and 36 seconds. Oh, and you know what? This is probably relevant. Tesla had this meeting in a big open parking lot, and then they had all of the people attending the meeting in Tesla vehicles just sitting in the parking lot, which is actually a really good idea, and I commend them for doing that. That was actually pretty smart. So you're going to hear honking when people are where they would normally clap. That's why there was honking in the beginning of our little intro for this podcast. We will now continue with the company update and year in review. And it's my pleasure to introduce Tesla co-founder and CEO, Mr. Elon Musk. Hey everyone. Well, I mean, this is definitely a new approach. We've got the, the Tesla drive-in movie theater, basically. Um, it's good to see everyone. It's a little hard to read the room uh, with, with everyone being in cars, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's the only way we could do it. So uh, hopefully it's cool, and hopefully you can hear me. Can you guys hear me? Okay. All right, great. All right, well, thanks for coming. Um, I think it's been, it's been an incredible year, um, and uh, I'd like to thank you for your support uh, through uh, you know, tough times, good times. It's been great. I uh, really appreciate uh, everyone who's uh, uh, put their hard-earned money into Tesla, and uh, you know, I, I think it's worked out pretty well. It's, this has been a, a good year, and I think uh, there's many good years to come. So I'll, I'll go through the, uh, the, the, sort of, uh, the shareholder pre presentation I think fairly quickly because the, the sort of real main event here is Battery Day. So, and, and the, really, I'm, I'm just going through a recap of, of what's happened over the past uh, year or so. Um, I think starting from, uh, you know, in terms of our ability to create a factory, uh, the, the uh, you know, huge kudos to the Tesla Shanghai team for being able to go from literally a dirt pile to volume production in, in uh, 15 months. It's like, damn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, 
And, and I think something that's, qu- that's really qu- quite noteworthy here is Tesla is the only foreign manufacturer to have a 100% owned factory in China. So this is often uh, uh, not well understood or, or not appreciated, but to have uh, the, the only 100% owned uh, foreign, ma- uh, you know, foreign factory in China is, is a really big deal. Um, and uh, it's, it's paying huge dividends here. So uh, we really wouldn't have the results that we have had this year without the, the, the uh, great efforts of the Tesla China team. So I'm super appreciative of that. Um, and we'll see the, the Shanghai factory continue to scale uh, quite a bit from where it is right now. I think we, we really could expect that to be, over time, a factory that produces over a million vehicles a year. Yeah, <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. So, volume, we also reached in the past year volume production of the Model Y, and this was the smoothest launch that we've ever had. So, I think we're we're definitely getting better at uh, new vehicle launches and building factories and scaling production. Uh, I, as you've heard me say before, it's the hardest thing is scaling production, especially of a new technology. It's insanely difficult. Uh, ma- making a prototype is, is relatively easy. And if I think, like, what is the real achievement of Tesla in, in sort of car company terms? It, it, it's like it, it wasn't making sort of exciting prototypes. Uh, it, it was that Tesla was really the first company in about a century in the U.S., the first U.S. company in the U.S. to reach volume production uh, and be sustainably profitable. Like, the, the crazy thing is this, this has really not happened in 100 years. That's the, that's the actual super hard part. Um, and we, we now have uh, four vehicles in volume production, S3, XY. So also the, the toughest joke, uh, I think, maybe ever. That um, was a very difficult joke to make. Um, <laughs> so we also introduced the lowest cost solar in the U.S. Uh, it's only $1.49 a watt. Um, and we really just simplified the whole chain of the whole value chain. Um, so reduced sales and advertising, um, got rid of a bunch of unnecessary costs, and really uh, are just relying upon the fact that it is it's it's just the lowest cost, most efficient solar in the U.S., uh, providing both uh, retrofit and the solar glass roof, uh, which I think is is a really great product, a hard product to make work, but it will be um, a major product line in the future. And uh, we also got four consecutive quarters of, of gap profitability, which is was was very difficult. <laughs> yeah. So, and certainly a, a testament to the, the hard work of people at Tesla. Um, I, I mean, to to do this uh, in extremely difficult times against a wide range of adverse circumstances uh, was uh, <laughs> insanely hard, but we got it done. So. And I, and I think we've we're, the, the future is looking like I think, I think very promising uh, from a, sort of an annual profitability standpoint. So, um, in in order to achieve, in order to, to to sort of do well financially, you really need economies of scale, um, and you need ideally the best technology. And I think we we had the best technology for a while, but now we are also achieving economies of scale. So. And we're also rapidly improving autonomy, which is um, a massive value add to each car. So, you know, I think the, the, the value of Tesla is going to be like total 
just on the vehicle side, total vehicles produced times the value of autonomy. That's, that's a, a way to think about the future value of Tesla. Um, we also have consistent free cash flow generation. Uh, this is really important for growth. Uh, and and it, a key element here is tightening up the time from when a car is ordered to when it is built and delivered. Um, so for a company that is growing rapidly, it's extremely important to tighten the supply chain and to, to have, fr from, when, from when parts arrive, put it into a car very quickly and deliver the car very quickly to the customer. And if, if you can do that inside the, the, the sort of your kind of uh, payables timeline, then the, the faster you grow, the more cash you have. Or conversely, if you're unable to do it within your, your payables timeline, uh, the faster you grow, the less money you will have, which is obviously bad um, it's for a capital-intensive situation. So just tightening up and having the parts move very quickly uh, to the factory, put it in a car, get it to a customer, uh, makes a massive difference to cash flow generation. And, I mean, that's why it's extremely important to have a factory uh, in each continent. Um, because if you don't have, at least have a factory in the continent, it is impossible to achieve this. So having a factory in China that's able to serve China and then, uh, you know, soon uh, many, many, many other countries in the region will be uh, key to us um, uh, tightening that, uh, that total sort of chain of cash flow and, and getting it, essentially the faster we grow, the more cash. This is really important. Um, that's also why it's important to have uh, Giga Berlin complete because uh, then we'll have a, a factory in China, a factory, a factory in the U.S., and soon a second factory in the U.S. in Austin. Um, and a factory in Europe, um, and and I mean even if you if for for the for Giga Texas in Austin, uh, even if we had exactly the same cost as in California, it would still be advantageous to to do it there because it's roughly two thirds of the way across the U.S. So uh, we, in terms of delivering cars to the central U.S. and to the East Coast, uh, it's far it's just faster, costs less, um, and um, it, it fundamentally improves our economics. So I think this is uh, also maybe something that's not fully appreciated of, of just how important it is to have a factory at least on the continent or, or reasonably close to where the end customers is. So you can tighten that, that, that whole chain. Uh, industry performance. Uh, we, we've, um, you know, while the rest of industry is, has gone down, uh, Tesla has gone up. Um, I think this speaks to... <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Um, and so I'd like to thank all the customers for, for taking a chance on Tesla and, and buying our product and uh, really hope you're enjoying it. Um, this is really, you know, our, our sales, as Elle was saying, really grow by word of mouth. So this is really, I think, a very pure, uh, you know, it's very pure in the sense that it's like it's, it's growing on the basis of, of existing owners recommending it to, other, to, to, uh, to new customers. This is really, I think, a, a good way to grow. Um, so, um, and then in 2019, we had 50% growth. Um, and I think we'll do r really pretty well in 2020. Um, probably somewhere between 30 to 40% growth, despite uh, a lot of very difficult circumstances. Um, I mean, there's so many, you know, pandemic wildfires. It's like a whole bunch of d difficult uh, production issues. Um, but uh, th thanks to the hard work of the Tesla team and a lot of innovative um, approaches to overcoming issues, uh, we're able to still uh, see significant growth in one of the most difficult, in fact, I'd say probably the, the most difficult year of Tesla's existence. So.
and we also published our extended impact report. Um, yeah, Tesla, we, we try very hard to do the right thing. Um, if the right thing does not happen, it's just because we, we maybe made a mistake or weren't, weren't aware of it. But we, we always try to do the right thing as, to the best of our ability. And, uh, and then we, we published the extended impact report to show, you know, just a sort of a self-examination of, okay, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? Uh, what can we do better in the future? Um, you know, we're definitely trying to accomplish the most good. And so, you know, if we, if we occasionally make a mistake, we work quickly to fix it and do the right thing. So, you know, it's worth looking at, like, the average life, average life cycle emissions in the U.S. Uh, and uh, just how, how much better a Tesla is than, or an electric car than any other, uh, than any kind of gasoline car. And uh, what we'll talk about in the battery day is also just how much the, the grids around the world, and, and uh, actually, especially in the U.S., are greening. Um, it's, it's actually much faster than I think people realize. Uh, the U.S. is moving towards sustainable energy. And so as we move more and more to sustainable energy, then effectively you end up building the, the solar factories and the, uh, the uh, car factories themselves with, with solar. Um, over time you do, or, or with sustainable energy, over time you, you'll even mine with, with sustainable energy, and eventually it will, it will get to an effective emissions of zero. So that's where, that's, that's where things will end up. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that there's a whole lot to say. I think anybody who's been listening to this show for any length of time, I was already pretty, you know, kind of aware of what was going on, but we do have a lot of new listeners. So just in case I put it in there and it's, it's a good recap. And I always like hearing Elon talk. I don't know why he's, I just like, I like it when he gives a speech. He seems genuinely enthusiastic about what he's talking about. In our next clip, Elon's going to talk about the autopilot rewrite, which I think is hands down the most important thing Tesla is doing right now. I know that they have all of these other things that are going on in terms of the Cybertruck, the Roadster, the Gigafactories, and everything else, but this autopilot rewrite is huge for the company and where Tesla wants to go. So um, we also have safety at the core of our design. Uh, the, the Tesla cars are the safest cars uh, ever designed. We have the lowest probability of injury of any cars uh, ever tested by the U.S. government, and that's just passive safety. When you add uh, active safety into that, uh, it's even better. Uh, so, um, you know, it's it's really if if you you know if safety is important to you, which obviously you know it, it is, uh, the, the the safest car you could drive is a Tesla. So, um, you know, I think people sometimes some people aren't aware of this, but it's really you know, safety is paramount. It, it is actually the number one design objective when we build a Tesla is safety. Um, our factories are also becoming safer. And if you look at the sort of accidents per uh, vehicle, total vehicle made, it's dramatically better than in the past. Um, and uh, it's already better than industry average. And uh, we're confident we can get it to uh, the best in the, in the auto industry. Uh, autopilot functionality continues to improve. Um, and you can see it in the, you know, the, the, the safety report that we publish every quarter. Um, it's just getting better and better. Uh, the U.S. average for collisions is um, you know, at roughly 2.1 per million miles. Uh, and with autopilot engaged, it's 0 0.3. I mean, this is a profound difference, it re really um, massive. And this will get even better. So uh, we're, we're confident that uh, over time we can get the uh, probability of, of, of an accident, especially the probability of, of injury, 
to uh, a 10 times better than the, than the, uh, the industry average, like an order of magnitude better. So that's just a lot of lives saved and a lot of injuries avoided. So that's a, you know, a huge priority for us. Um, and um, yeah, on the autopilot front, uh, I think it's, it's kind of hard for people to judge the progress of, of autopilot. Um, like I, I'm, I'm driving, I, I, as a matter of course, I've always done this, I drive the, the bleeding edge alpha build of autopilot. And so, so I sort of have insight into what is going on. Um, and uh, you know, pr previously, about a couple of years ago, we were, we were kind of stuck in a local maximum. So we were, we were improving, but like the, the, the improvements kind of started tailing off and, not, and just not getting where, where they needed to be. Um, we were quite cool so we're getting trapped in a local maximum. Um, and so we had to do a fundamental rewrite of the entire autopilot software stack um, and, and all of the labeling uh, software as well. So we're now um, labeling in 3D uh, video. So this is hugely different from the previously where we were labeling essentially a, a bunch of uh, single images uh, from the eight cameras, and they would be labeled um, at different times by different people. And some of the, the labels, you, you, you literally can't tell what it is you're labeling. Um, so it, it basically made it sort of in some cases impossible to label, um, and the labels had a, a lot of errors. Now, uh, with our new labeling tools, uh, we label it in video. So we actually label entire video segments, um, and the system, so, so you get the, basically a surround video uh, thing to label, and uh, with, with the surround video and, and with time. So it's now, it's now taking all, amers, all cameras simultaneously and, and looking at how the images change over time and labeling that. Um, and then the sophistication of the neural nets in the car and the overall logic in the car has improved dramatically. Um, I think we'll, we'll hopefully release uh, a private beta of, of autopilot, or the full self-driving version of autopilot in, I think, a month or so. Uh, and then people will, will really uh, understand just the magnitude of the change. It's, it's profound. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so as you'll, you'll see it, it's just like a hell of a step change. But because we had to rewrite everything, labeling software, the, just the entire code base, um, it, took, it's t it took us quite a while. Um, and the, the, the sort of new sort of a call of like 4D in, in the sense that it's uh, th three dimensions plus time. Um, uh, it just it's just taken us a while to rewrite everything. Um, and so, you know, you'll, you'll see what it's like. It's going to be, it's amazing. Um, yeah, it's, it's just uh, it's clearly going to work. This nicely dovetails with the episode that I had, we had last week with Sierra and Brad because, you know, autopilot was a really big deal for them. And mostly it's, a big deal for Brad and I might be speaking out of turn. So if they listen to this episode, I'm sure they'll let me know, but it's a big deal for Brad because he doesn't want to drive everywhere, <laughs> which makes sense. It's, ex it's exhausting to drive everywhere. And it's a big deal for Sierra because she needs to be able to, you know, get to be more mobile. And it's not that she's not independent. She, cause she's a very independent person. She went to Guatemala and, and shot a whole documentary by herself. She's a very independent kid. Or a young adult, but it's more that she just doesn't feel comfortable driving. So anything that can help them, and I know this is—I don't know if it's how a lot of millennials feel, to be honest with you—but I know that my kids, 
don't care about driving their car. Like when I was their age, I could not wait to be old enough to drive the car. My kids don't care. I don't even know if it's in their purview that someday they will drive a car. They just don't seem to care about it. Whereas for me, like I was constantly like asking to sit on my dad's lap and drive the car down the dirt roads and things like that. Just in general, I don't think kids like my kids age who are eight and younger aren't really going to care about driving in as a whole. And they're going to kind of look at it as like, I'm 45, almost 46 as like I did with rotary phones. Yes, it was a part of my young life, but I, you know, <laughs> I don't use them now. Um, I like rotary phones. We have a phone, a friend who has one as an art piece in her house. Um, but other than that, that's, that's the only time I ever see a rotary phone in today's day and age. And I think that's just kind of, kind of how driving is for kids that are eight and younger or right around that age. All right. Enough of me running my mouth. Elon's going to give a little preview of what they're going to talk about in our next segment, which is the battery day segment. So let's listen to Elon. Well, uh, thanks everyone uh, for coming and we'll be back in a little bit to uh, go through the battery stuff. And there's a little bit more in addition to the battery stuff. We've got a little few extras uh, as well. So I think uh, you'll really like what we have to say on batteries. <laughs> the, 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 battery, the battery stuff we're going to talk about is, is truly revolutionary uh, and essential to, uh, to Tesla's goal. The fundamental, the fundamental good of Tesla, it's like if you look back in history and say, what, what good did Tesla do? Um, the good will be to what, you know, by how many years did we accelerate sustainable energy? That's like the, the true metric of, of, of success. Um, you know, it, it matters if, if sustainable energy happens faster or slower. And, and so that's really like how I think about Tesla and how we should, you know, sort of assess our, our progress. You know, how, by how many years did we accelerate sustainable energy? Um, and the, what we're going to talk about with batteries and, and a few other things uh, will really explain how we're going to make a step change improvement in the acceleration of uh, sustainable energy. Thank you. start off this segment, Tesla showed video of what it looked like in San Francisco in the Bay Area when the fires were really bad. And we're looking, it looks like you're on Mars. It looks like science fiction. So it's kind of a really powerful way for Tesla to start this part of the presentation. And then Elon's going to talk a little bit about, you know, just kind of some of the environmental concerns that Tesla has. It's a, it's a nice segue. Joining Elon on stage will be Drew Bagliano. He has something to do with batteries. I can't remember exactly what it is. I didn't write it down. But here's Elon and Drew. I'm Drew Baglino, SVP of Powertrain and Energy Engineering at Tesla. And I'm incredibly excited to talk about what we've been doing at batteries here at Tesla. Great. Um, so let's see, you've got the clicker? Yeah, I've got the clicker, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's, let's uh, yeah, let's, I, I'll take it first, perhaps. Sure. If I could just break in real quick, I love that because they're doing this big PowerPoint presentation and I love that Elon just takes the clicker from this guy. <laughs> just, I don't know why. It just makes me laugh. Um, so 
Uh, obviously, the, the, the issues we're facing are very serious uh, you know, with the climate change, and um, we're experiencing these issues on a, on a day-to-day basis. Um, it, it's incredibly important we accelerate the advent of sustainable energy. Uh, time really matters. Uh, this presentation is about accelerating the time to sustainable energy. So, uh, the past five years were the hottest on record. Um, we have what looks like a wall for CO2 PPM. Um, it's obviously, you know, this time is not like the past. Uh, it's, it's really important that we take action. Um, ru- running this uh, climate experiment is insane. So, Especially when it's just a transitory one anyway. Yes. We're going to run out of these fossil fuels. Let's just move to the future and not run this experiment any longer. Yeah. Maybe talk a bit louder. You got it. Okay. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> the, so, so we're, we're, there is a lot of good news, though. Um, uh, the, what, <clears throat> a lot of people may not be aware <coughs> that, that wind and solar comprise 75% of new electricity capacity in the U.S. this year. So this is a really major. <coughs> um, so the, the, grid is, the grid is going sustainable uh, very, very quickly. Um, now, it's also worth noting that the length of time the power plants last is <clears throat> on the order of 25 years. So uh, even if 100% of energy generation was sustainable, it would still take 25 years to convert the grid. Um, <clears throat> and, and it's also worth noting that in the past 10 years, uh, power production from coal has dropped in half. So it went from 46% of electricity in 2010 to 23% in 2020. So this is a massive improvement. So good things are happening on a lot of levels. We just need to go faster. Um, <clears throat> so in, t- in terms of Tesla's contribution, we've, we've delivered over a million electric vehicles, 26 billion um, electric miles driven, uh, and uh, many gigawatt hours of stationary batteries, uh, 17 terawatt hours of solar generated. So. Um, I think solar is sometimes uh, underweighted at, at, at Tesla, but I, it is a massive part of our future. Um, the three parts of a, s- a sustainable energy future are sustainable energy generation, storage, and electric vehicles. So we intend to play a significant role in all three. All right, I'm going to pull back the kimono just a little bit, just just a skosh. Uh <laughs> Um, this podcast, it's its very long. It's taken me a long time to go through this. I actually started pulling clips on Wednesday, and it is now Friday at uh, 5.30. Or no, 6.30, excuse me. Uh, I started doing the podcast today at 1. So uh, there was some... I had to stop every now and again to get some things done. But for the most part, I've just been working on this show. So I tell my family, hey, I'm going to be recording. They're like, cool, but normally they're used to me recording for like 20 minutes. Uh, You may hear my wife play piano in the background. Just so you know, she's learning how to play piano. She's doing a really good job. You're probably going to hear that in the background. You're probably going to hear my kids playing in the background like they were earlier. Uh, Because normally this podcast does not go for an hour. Like, I can ask my family to be quiet for 20 to 30 minutes. I cannot ask them to be silent and not move around the house for, you know, several hours throughout the day. So I apologize, but you're going to hear a lot of background noise. So (laughs) anyway, um, back to this particular podcast. 
I think we can all agree, everybody that listens to this podcast can agree that whether you agree with climate change, like you think climate change is something that is existing in the world, or if you don't and you just think it's the world, the Earth's natural um, cycle of things, I think we can all agree that pollution is bad. So coal plants and natural gas peaker plants and ice vehicles those things create pollution and pollution is harmful to us as humans. So I'm going to stick. It's not so much with the climate change because I don't really want to have arguments with people over email or Twitter on whether climate change is real or not. I'm just going to stick with the pollution because pollution's bad enough. We can all get behind. We need less pollution in the world. So Tesla is ramping up their energy generation, their energy storage and their EVs to get that done to, to cut the um, carbon footprint of like the peaker plants and the coal plants and things like that. So that's awesome. I'm glad that that Tesla is doing that. They are, they're just getting these things done. It's, it's pretty impressive what they're doing in our next clip. Elon's going to talk about how Tesla is going to go about accelerating sustainable energy. So let's listen to that. Uh, so to achieve to to accelerate accelerate the transition to sustainable energy, we must produce more uh, EVs that need to be affordable um, and a lot more energy storage, uh, while building fa factories faster and with fa far less investment. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, goal number one is a terawatt hour scale battery production. So, tera is the new giga, uh, and a terawatt is a, a thousand times more than a gigawatt. So. Uh, we used to talk in terms of gigawatts. Uh, in the future, we'll be talking in terms of uh, terawatt hours. So this is um, what's needed in order to transition the world to sustainability. Um, yeah, and you can see it's a, we're talking about 100x growth in batteries for electric vehicles to achieve this mission. Um, and we are going to get there. It's just a matter of how fast, and our intention is to accelerate it. Yeah. You basically need on the order of you know, roughly 10 terawatt hours a year of battery production, uh, to transition the, the global fleet of, of vehicles to electric. And the average vehicle lasts 15 years, so we're talking about 150 terawatt hours, give or take, to transition the whole electric, all vehicles of all types uh, uh, to electric. Yeah, so it's a, it's a lot of batteries, basically. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, so... And then on the grid side, uh, we, we have a similar mountain to climb 1600 times growth from today's grid batteries to go 100% renewable on the grid and to take all of the existing heating fossil fuel uses in homes and businesses 100% electric yeah and and this this number i think uh, might grow even more depend you know as the the world economy uh, matures and as uh, countries with high populations industrialize uh, we could see this number be even more but it, let's say it's like roughly uh tw 20 uh, to 25 uh, terawatt hours per year sustained uh, for 15 to 25 years to transition the world to uh, renewable. This is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so today's batteries cannot scale fast enough. Uh, they're just too small. Um, for Giga, Giga Nevada, um, 150 gigawatt hours per year is like what we probably expect to, to make out of there. But this is really pretty small in the grand scheme of things. That's only 0.15 terawatt hours. And it costs too much. <laughs> so, We would need 135 fully built out Nevada gigafactories to achieve 20 terawatt hours a year 
it's not scalable enough of a solution. We need a dramatic rethink of the cell manufacturing system to, to scale as fast as we can and should. Yeah, and I think we should view this as, as more than just a question of money. Um, money is sort of like an ethereal thing, but it's really the amount of effort. You have a, a certain amount of, of effort um, you know, in terms of people and machines, and depending on, on how, how efficient that, that effort is, um, you know, f for a given amount of effort, you, you want the most amount of batteries. So it's not just a question of like, well, if we had $2 trillion, you, tomorrow you could make this. It's, it's not that easy. Um, you actually need to organize a massive number of people, build a lot of machines, build the machines that make the machines. Um, and so it's incredibly important to uh, have that effort uh, yield the most number of batteries. The information on that clip is actually pretty impressive when you think about how much energy we need to uh, generate or to store to get away from pollution-based energy sources like cars, uh, ice cars, and things like that. Um, I think he said 200 gigafactories. We would need to build 200 gigafactories to get to where we need to be. That's just insane. I mean, insane. 10 terawatt hours a year to just to transition away from ice cars to EVs. So that has nothing to do. And it's 20 terawatts to, to get rid of, I don't know if it's all polluting energy sources, but uh, most of them, Just that's just a, a lot. $2 trillion spent to do that. And I can't remember if it was in this clip or the next clip, but Elon basically says you can't just throw two trillion dollars at this. You actually have you have to have two trillion dollars, and then you actually have to work to solve this problem. Which it seems, in one hand, on one hand, it's like oh, somebody figured this out, or roughly figured it out. That's good. On another hand, is how do we accomplish it? Because it you know it's going to take a lot of time to get to that point. And there's a good chance I'll be dead before we get there. In our next clip, Elon's going to talk about goal two, what we need to do in that first phase of transitioning away from dirty energy to clean energy. So, uh, and, and then goal two, obviously, we need to make uh, more affordable cars. Um, the, uh, you know, I think one of the things that troubles me the most is that we, we don't yet have a truly affordable car. Um, and that, that is something that we will make in the future. Uh, but in order to do that, um, we've got to get the cost of batteries down. We've got to make, uh, and we've got to be better at manufacturing, and and we need to do something about this curve. This curve, the curve of of the cost per kilowatt hour of, of batteries is not improving fast enough. Um, so we, we give we've given this a lot of thought over many years uh, to say, okay, how can we radically improve the the cost per kilowatt hour curve? Um, it, it's been somewhat flattening out, actually, in, in recent yeah. years. So I mean, early growth was promising, but you can see we're kind of plateauing. Yeah. So that's that's what's motivating us to to rethink how cells are produced and designed. Yeah, exactly. So, so, um, yeah, and EV market share is growing, but EVs, yeah, aren't still inaccessible to all. Um, it's it's and and you can see it's, as Drew was saying, it's like starting to flatten out a little bit because. Uh, the rate of improvement of the affordability of cars is just not fast enough. So that's why we've got Battery Day. Yeah. To make the best cars in the world, we design vehicles and factories from the ground up. Next. Yeah. <laughs> and now we do this for batteries as well. So at the end there, it got a little awkward, and they were having some problems with the 
their presentation monitors showing what the updated slide was. So that's why it kind of got a little weird. But if Tesla was to build a more affordable car, where where do you think, and I want you to email me, where do you think that price range would come in at? Because I'm hearing a lot of people say $25,000. And honestly, I think where Tesla would begin would be $30,000. And here's why. Elon promised us a $35,000 Model 3. And technically, that car does exist, and you can order it. However, you can't order it online. You either have to go into the store, and you have to order it, or you have to call up Tesla, and you have to order it that way. It's not like in your face, like you can order this car. So if you don't know that Tesla offers this $35,000 model, then you're probably not going to buy it. You're just going to buy the $37,000 model, which I think is called the standard range. Plus my brain is melting. Anyway, my point is Tesla also promised us a cheaper model Y, which I think was going to start at $40,000 or something close to that. And we don't have that because Elon came out a couple months ago and said, nobody wants a car that's with less than 300 mile range. And I disagree with that. I think lots of people want that. I just don't think Tesla wants to build that car for whatever reason. If Tesla wanted to build that car, they could, but I don't think they want to. So because of that, my general thought is Elon's version of that more affordable car is going to come in. There might be a version of the car that costs $25,000, but I don't think so. I think this car is going to start at $30,000 simply because manufacturing is hard. It costs a lot of money to build these cars and Tesla needs to make a profit. So that's That's my two cents. All right. In our next clip, they're going to talk about what makes up a cell. And this is really relying on um, video. So I'm going to do my best to explain what makes up a cell. Hold on. I actually took notes on paper like a caveman. I'm going to try and explain to you what makes up a cell. So it makes when you're listening to this, because he does a better job of explaining everything. But when you're listening to this, hopefully it makes sense to you because obviously you can't see what's going on. So these are how current cells are made. So you have a can. That's the cell. Think of a AA battery. The outside, that's the can. That's the cell. And then you have the top of the cell. If you think of a AA battery again, the top of the cell would be the the part that's just got the little bump on the top. So that's the positive side. So in these batteries, in the, the, the cells that Tesla uses, the top is the positive and the battery, the can, is the negative. So, okay, hopefully that is clear. So if you take off the top of the cap, so you take the cap off and you look inside, there's a little tab that folds over. And if you pull on that little tab, so you pull the tab out, Along comes this thing called the jelly roll. And it really, it looks like flypaper all rolled up. It looks, that's what I thought when I first saw it anyway. So in that jelly roll, roll, excuse me, you have three layers. You have the anode, you have the separator. So the anode's on the bottom, the separator's in the middle, and you have the cathode on the top. So when they're unrolling this, and this thing is meters long, this is what you have. And then in between that, you have lithium. So what happens is as you are 
using the battery. So you're driving around. All the lithium, or a lot of the lithium, is stored on the anode side. And as you're driving around, that goes through the separator and it goes to the cathode side. And then the opposite happens when you charge it. All of the all that lithium that's hanging out on the cathode side then goes to the uh, anode side. So now you're charging it and it goes through that separator. So you have a little um, tab at the top and a tap at the bottom. We talked about that. And that's where the energy flows through as well. Hopefully that helps with the next clip. I honestly thought about just leaving this out, but they go into so many good things that I think it's beneficial to leave it in. We have a plan to have the cost per kilowatt hour. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not a plan that rests on a single innovation, some research project that'll never see the light of day. It's a plan that has taken creative engineering and industrialization across every facet of what makes a cell into a battery pack from raw material to the finished thing. And we're going to go through that plan with you today, step by step, and build up how we get to these goals and how we accelerate this transition and make our vehicles and our, our grid batteries more affordable. Yeah. I mean, we basically thought through every element of the battery, well, almost every element. There are a few more elements that uh, we won't get to today, but we will get to in the future. Yes. So first, before we get too far into it, let's talk about what is in a battery cell. We've got the cap and the, and the can, negative and positive terminals of the cell. When you open that cell, you've got a tab connected to those terminals, what we call the jelly roll, which is the wound electrodes on the inside. Um, you can actually see what this looks like as you unwind it. This is over a meter long in a typical 2170 cell. So it's quite a long wi winding process. Um, and, and you can see the tab still there. Um, and then, what, to explain what's actually going on here, we've identified we've got anode, cathode, separator, positive and negative terminal. Watch what happens as we, uh, there we go, discharge the cell. Got lithium moving from anode to cathode. And then the reverse, when we charge the cell, anode moving from uh, lithium moving from cathode to anode across the separator. This is the basic of what makes all lithium ion batteries, whether they're what, no matter what the form factor is. All right, I don't have a lot to, more to add or anything more to add to be honest. In our next clip, they're going to talk about how they've improved the new cell, what they've done, what makes it different than the old 2170 cell for instance. Um, and this was this was a evolutionary step going from 1865 to 2170, bringing 50% more energy into the cell. But when we look to the ideal cell design, if we were to do it ourselves, uh, we need to go beyond just um, what we're looking at us in front of us and, and study the full, the full spectrum of options. So as you can see, we, we kind of swept the key figures of merit, how much we can reduce the cost and how much vehicle range increases as we change the outer diameter of the cell. We found a sweet spot somewhere around 46 meters, uh, millimeters. But it's not just about a bigger form factor. Like, anybody could make a bigger form factor. Any fool. Any fool could make a bigger form factor. Uh, are <laughs> we not any fool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there are problems uh, as you make cells larger. In fact, supercharging and thermals in general become really challenging as you make bigger cells. And this was the challenge that our team uh, set our sights on to overcome. And we did. We came up with this tabless architecture that maybe you've heard about. 
um, that that basically removes the thermal problem from the equation and allows us to go to the absolute lowest cost form factor um, and the simplest manufacturing process. And this is what this is what we mean when we when we talk about tabless. It's kind of a beautiful thing. Uh, that's, that's what these that's what these t-shirts mean but it's very esoteric it's like nobody could figure it out but yeah um, we basically took the existing foils laser patterned them and enabled dozens of connections into the active material through this shingled spiral you can see with simpler manufacturing fewer parts 50 50 millimeter versus 250 millimeter electrical path length uh, which is how we get all the thermal benefits yeah this is important to appreciate like basically the the, the the distance that that electron has to travel, you know, it's, it's just much less. Um, so uh, you actually have a shorter path length in a large tabless a large tabless cell than you have in the smaller cell with tabs. This is a big deal. So even though the, the cell is bigger, it actually has uh, more power. Uh, the power to weight ratio is actually better than the smaller cell with 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 tabs. This is, uh, you know, again, like this is quite quite hard to do. So it's. A, you know, nobody's done it before, um, so, uh, and it really took a, a tremendous amount of effort uh, within Tesla engineering to figure out how do we make a freaking tabless cell um, and have it actually work and, and then connect that to the top cap, and it's, uh, there's a whole bunch of things that we're, you know, keeping a little secret source here that we're not telling everything, um, but... Uh, Sometimes what's <laughs> elegant and simple is still hard, and it, we, we, it took us a lot of trials, but we're, we're happy where we ended up. Yeah, I mean everything's simple in recollection. You know, after you like simple, everything it's hard until it's discovered, and then it's simple. <laughs> um, so anyway, but it's, there's a there's a lot of really cool things going on uh, that that enable uh, tabless, and um, uh, it's really you know due to a really great engineering team, Drew and the, and the rest of the team have done amazing work in, in achieving this uh, tabless construction. Um, and it sounds, I think it may sort of sound a bit silly to some people, but <laughs> this was, this is like, if for people that really know cells, this is a massive breakthrough. For cylindricals to be able to, to get rid of the tabs dramatically simplifies winding and coating. Yeah. And has an awesome thermal and performance benefit. Yeah, um, that's a, just to be so, elaborate on that a bit, it's like when the cell is, is going, going through the, the, the system, the system it, it has to keep stopping where all the tabs are. Yes. So you can't do... A you can't do continuous motion uh, uh, production uh, if you have tabs. You have to keep stopping. And, and then there's a rate at which you can start and stop and accelerate again. And, and it really slows down the, the rate of production. And then sometimes you get the tabs wrong. Um, and you also get, lose a little bit of, of, of active area. It's, it's, it's really a huge pain in the ass to have tabs um, yes. from a production standpoint. Yes. Um, and so when we put it all together and go to our new 80 millimeter length, 4680, we call this uh, new cell design. We get five times the energy with six times the power and enable 16% range increase, just form factor alone. Uh, yeah, so when, when, these, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. And just, just to, to clarify, that when we see these um, plus 16% or whatever the, the percentage range increases, these are the amounts due just to that particular innovation. Yes. So we'll list a whole bunch of innovations, and then when you add them up, you get a total uh, improvement in uh, energy density and cost. Uh, but uh, th these numbers are, are what refer to just this thing. Yeah, and I want to stress, this is not just a concept or a rendering. 
We are starting to ramp up manufacturing of these cells at our pilot 10 gigawatt hour production facility just around the corner. Yeah. But let's stack up everything we just saw at the cell level. So just the cell form factor change enables a 14% dollar per kilowatt hour reduction, just that cell form factor change. I really like how they're breaking this presentation down because as a general rule, I don't understand batteries. I think I understand them better than most lay people. But if, you know, in comparison to somebody who knows even a little bit about how battery technology works, I know nothing. So I do my best to learn, but uh, this breaks it down and it makes it really simple for a moron like me to learn this stuff. So I'm finding it very fascinating. And just in general, the presentation is, is great. They're not talking over anybody's head. It just works out really well. So I don't remember if Elon mentioned this or not. So bear with me. I didn't know how they named cells like the 2170. I had no idea why it was called the 2170. So the first two digits are the diameter and the second two digits are the length. So this battery, the new one would be a 4680. Just having that little bit of information uh, in terms of how they name battery cells um, makes me feel so smart. And uh, yeah, enough about me. Um, I want to know how removing the tabs fixes the thermal problems. And they didn't really go into that. And maybe they'll go into that a little bit later. Um, but it's interesting. When you look at, if you look at the can and it just looks like a, you know, bigger cell. And then when they take the top off and you look like from a down view, uh, top down view, it kind of looks like a coiled snake a little bit. So in the middle, you have these small little uh, shapes. They're not quite trapezoids, they're not quite triangles. And then as it gets toward the edge of the can, they get a little bit bigger. So it's an interesting way that they did that. Um, it increase, improves production time. Uh, you get five times more energy, 16 times or 16% more range. Uh, that's pretty impressive and six times more power. And then they also confirmed that the pilot battery uh, factory at Fremont is live and an actual thing. Up to this point, I, th I think it was just a rumor that everybody assumed was true that there was actually a battery factory at Fremont. Now we know there's a pilot line there, which makes sense. Um, let's see here. This new cell technology that they have, just this one part is saving them 14% per kilowatt hour on cost. So pretty impressive. And we're going to move into the cell factory and what Tesla is doing at the factory to help save money and improve the production process. At the beginning of this clip, they're going to talk about, or they're going to compare cell manufacturing to like printing newspapers or printing on paper and bottle manufacturing. So just to kind of get an idea as they're talking, think about, you know, the stereotypical um, movie trope where they're the, the news is getting is on the press and it shows the paper going through and it's going through the printing press and all that kind of thing. Think about that on your left side and on your right side, think about Laverne and Shirley bottling beer in, in the beginning of the theme song with the Laverne and Shirley. So if you think of those two things, 
that's pretty much what they got on the screen. And now that you've been teased on this factory, we're going to go on and, and walk step by step through that factory and, and discuss a series of, of innovations there. When thinking about the ideal cell factory, we have inspirations uh, behind us in the paper and bottling industry, where from humble beginnings, over a century of innovation has enabled mass scale, continuous motion, unbelievably low manufacturing cost. And when we think about the lithium ion industry, which is really only in its third decade of high volume production, it has so far to go to, to achieve similar scale and simplicity. And that, that was the inspiration that we set out to the team as we thought about how to marry cell design and manufacturing in the best possible factory. And let's talk a little bit about what's in a cell factory. First, there's an electrode process where the active materials are coated into films onto foils. Um, then those foil, coated foils are wound in the, in the winding process we just talked about, where if you do have tabs, you have to start and stop a lot. Um, then the, the jelly roll is assembled into the can, sealed, uh, filled with electrolyte, and then sent to formation, where the cell is charged for the first time, and, and where the, sort of the electrochemistry is set and the quality of the cell is verified. And we set out at every step of this process to try to take that inspiration we just shaw, showed and, and think about how we make those processes fundamentally better and more scalable. And one of the most important processes is where it all begins, the wet process of the, of the electrode coating. And I, just to give you all a sense of scale, I'm going to walk through what's in that wet process. You've got mixing where the, the powders are mixed with either a water or a solvent, solvents for, for the cathode. Um, that mix then goes into a large coat and dry oven where the slurry is coated onto the foil, you know, huge ovens, tens of meters long, dried, uh, and that solvent then has to be recovered. You can see the solvent recovery system. And then finally, the coated foil is compressed to the final density. And when you're looking at this, you're like, wow, that's a lot of equipment for one step, especially when you consider that little speck next to the coating oven is a person. This is serious, serious iron involved in making batteries. Wouldn't it be great if we could skip that solvent step, which is one of those dig a ditch and then fill it kind of things where you put the solvent in and then take it out and recycle it, and just go straight to dr uh, uh, dry mix to coat. And that's what the dry process really is about. And in the most basic form, you can see it here on a bench top. Literally, powder in, into film. As simple as that. I mean, it's hard, actually, uh, just to be clear. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, if, if this was easy, everyone would do it. So the, it's not like uh, dry coating electrode is, is actually uh, easy. It's, it's, it's it's actually very hard to do what appears to be a simple thing. Um, and and it's, it's worth noting, like, um, you know, we did acquire Maxwell as, like, a little over a year ago, I guess. Um, and, you know, it's, it's certainly a good company and everything, but the, the, the dry coating they had was, like, it's, it's like sort of I would call proof of concept. Uh, since the acquisition, we've, we've actually uh, revved the, the machine that does dry coating four times. So we're in re revision four post-acquisition of the machine. Um, and there's still a lot of work to do. So I would not say this is like completely in the bag. It's still a lot of work to do, um, and 
you know, as you go, as you scale, go from like benchtop to lab to uh, pilot to volume production, uh, there are actually major issues that you encounter at, at every level. It's not like you know you, you make something work on your on your bench and bingo, now you can make a bazillion of, of it. It's, Absolutely, it's insanely difficult to scale up. Um, yeah, and, but and, and, yeah, but if you do scale it up, yeah, what what you saw before becomes this. Yeah, so you can see the motivation. A 10 times reduction in footprint, a 10 times reduction in energy, and a massive reduction in investment. Um, but as Elon was saying, simple is hard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be clear, I would like to not say that we, right now it's just totally working. It's, it's, it's close to working, <laughs> but it's not, even now, it, at the pilot plant level, it is close to working. Well, I, I can't, I, it's fair to say it probably it does work, but with not a good, not a high yield. Yeah. So we're still ironing out the kinks, but we've made tens of thousands yeah. of cells, thousands of kilometers sure. of electrode. I mean, we are on the fourth generation of the equipment, so we've learned a lot along the, along the way. Yeah. I mean, it is super demanding because every atom has its place if you want to deliver the energy density and the cycle life and the supercharging. Yeah. But we're, but we're, we're confident that we will get there, but it yeah. will be a lot of work along the way. There's a clear path to success, but a ton of work between here and there. Yep. So, uh, but this is a, a really profound improvement. Again, for people that know battery uh, manufacturing, this is, a, this is gigantic. Um, We'll probably be on, on machine revision six or seven by the time we do large-scale production. Um, the, the rate at which the machines are being improved is, is extremely rapid. Like literally every three or four months is a new rev. Now that last little bit that Elon was talking about, um, this is why I don't think we're going to see a $25,000 Tesla uh, anytime soon. Now, there might be a $30,000 Tesla, and then at some point we might have a $25,000 Tesla, but I don't... I don't think we're going to get there with the next car, whatever that happens to be. I think we're going to be a little bit away from that. And the reason why is because this stuff is hard. And at every step, there's new challenges that you didn't think of before. But let's go through this clip real quick because it was really informative. Um, there's in a typical process, there's a mix with a solvent and then there's a coat and dry part. And then there's a, comp you compress it down those three layers that I was talking about, the anode, the cathode, and separator. And then they take that solvent and they recover some of it so they can use it in the next uh, batch. So basically what they're doing here is they're getting rid of that solvent, the need to use solvent or, and recover it. So that's great. And when he's talking about the images of the machines, the smallest machine is still taller than the human they have standing next to it because they have these little little pictures. And the the big machine, the coat and drive machine, it looks to be four to five times taller than the person standing there. So this thing is absolutely enormous. When they're talking about how they're putting this powder onto the anode, it's basically two big stainless steel rollers. And they put the powder in between the two rollers and it squishes it out onto anode some sort of film and that's how the power powder is getting on excuse me the cathode so um what i thought was interesting in this hopefully that's somewhat helpful for you but one of the things that that was in interesting is they can have a 10 times footprint footprint reduction so that they can actually build future factories smaller and then they have a 10 times energy reduction so it doesn't cost as much to produce these things. So that's pretty amazing on, on Tesla's part. 
All of this comes from designing a cell with manufacturing in mind, not designing a cell and then figuring out how you're going to manufacture it. Like putting those things together, um, this is what you get. So pretty impressive stuff from Tesla. Yeah, and beyond the electrode, we, we continue to innovate on every other process step. So let's talk a little bit about uh, assembly, which is next. The key to a high-performing assembly line is accomplishing processes while in motion, continuous motion, uh, and thinking of the line as a highway, max velocity down the highway, no start yeah. and stop, no city driving. Exactly, no st stoplights and traffic lights or anything. You want the highway. You want the highway. Yeah. And together with our internal design team that makes this equipment and designs this equipment, we coupled thinking about how to make the best cell with thinking about how to make the best equipment so that we could accomplish the fastest parts per minute rates on all of these tools. Um, and through all of that development, we were able to get to the point where we can uh, implement assembly lines, one line, 20 gigawatt hours, seven times increase in output per line. And when you're thinking about scalability mm -hmm. and pure effort, having one line be seven X the capability is just effort multiplying. Yeah. So. Yeah, you can sort of think about like the, the sort of the fundamental physics of a factory or something. Like, um, I think it's actually quite a lot like the rocket equation, uh, where uh, you've got basically in the rocket equation you've got your exhaust velocity and then the uh, log of the start to, uh, end masses. So it's basically saying, you know, how fast are things going and what percentage of your the factory volume is doing useful work. And conveyance does not count as useful work. So, um, only the value added steps. Yeah, if you if you break the factory down into uh, cubic meter sections um, and say, uh, or, or smaller, it could be like one you know one liter sections, and say, uh, is a majority of this volume doing useful work? You would be astounded at how bad most factories are. They're like maybe two or three percent, including our factory in Fremont. Um, so, I, I think it, it's possible to get to at least uh, ten times that of uh, volumetric efficiency. Uh, so more like, you know, 30%-ish, uh, maybe more, um, and be 10x better, it, it, which means the factory can be 10 times smaller. Um, and then the other thing is how fast are things going through, through the factory? It's like speed and density. Um, the, the, fa the faster you go, like if a factory that's moving at, say, twice the speed of another factory is equivalent to two factories, basically. And the, the company that will be successful uh, is the co company that with one factory can accomplish what other companies take two or three or four factories to do. So this is what we're trying to do here is, is say, okay, how do we, uh, with, with, a, with one factory, achieve what maybe five or even ten factories would normally be required to achieve? And, and the vertical integration with the machine design teams at, you know, Groman and, 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 and Highbar and others allows us to really accomplish that because we don't have all these edge conditions between one piece of equipment and another. We can design the entire machine to be one machine and remove all of these unnecessary steps. Yeah, I mean, basically, Tesla uh, is, is aiming to be the, the best at manufacturing of any company on Earth. Uh, this is the thing that's actually most important in the long run. I think, um, you know, just from a company standpoint and, and from basically um, achieving sustainability as fast as possible, uh, but I think also for long-term competitiveness, um, eventually every, every car company will have long-range electric cars. Um, I, you know, eventually every company will have autonomy. 
I think, but not every company will be uh, great at, at manufacturing. Uh, Tesla will be absolutely head and shoulders above anyone else in manufacturing. That is our goal. <laughs> manufacturing is hard and hard problems are fun to yeah. solve. All right. We've talked about this time and time again, how important manufacturing is to Tesla. I like Elon reiterating that manufacturing is like they want to be the best in the world of manufacturing and I want them to be the best in the world at manufacturing. And I want them to show other companies how to do this so that other things get cheaper, not just, you know, the vehicles themselves, but you know, phones, watches, toys, whatever. Let's, let's figure out a way to make this stuff better and more affordable for everybody and hopefully last longer. All right. Now we're going to talk about the formation of cells. Not we, they are going to talk about the formation of cells. Um, okay, now let's talk about formation. In a, in a typical cell factory, formation represents 25% of the investment. And what is formation? It's, it's charging and discharging cells and verifying the quality of the cell. Turns out we've charged and discharged billions and billions of cells in our vehicles, so we know a thing or two about that. The typical formation setup is you charge and discharge each cell individually. In our car, we charge thousands of cells at once. And we took our principal and our power electronics, leveraging p power wall, vehicle battery management systems, and others to dramatically improve the, the formation equipment uh, cost effectiveness and density. 86% reduction in formation investment, 75% reduction in footprint. So. You want to take this one? Uh, sure. So essentially what this translates to, based on what we know today, is about a 75% reduction uh, in the investment per kilowatt hour uh, or gigawatt hour. It's, it's just uh, basically four times better than the current state of the art to the best of our knowledge. Uh, and uh, I think there's probably room to improve even beyond that. Definitely. Uh, definitely, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, we're able to, from a volume standpoint, actually get what, um, in, in a smaller form factor than Giga Nevada, uh, we were able to get uh, many times the, the, the uh, cell output. So... Uh, you can see, like, basically, we can get a terawatt hour in le in less space than it took to make a gigawatt hour, uh, uh, you know, it, uh, 150 gigawatt hours. So this is pretty profound. You know, it's like, I would actually not have thought this was possible uh, several years ago, um, that we could actually get to terawatt hour scale in less, in less space than uh, what we, we currently envision for doing 150 gigawatt hours. So yes, simpler accelerates terawatt hour scale, and that's what we need to do to accelerate our mission. Um, and, you know, as Elon said, we're going to try to even improve on this as we uh, push towards our goals, which are? Yeah, so uh, <laughs> uh, this, this is just for, uh, this is just talking about uh, Tesla internal cell production. Um, as I tweeted out earlier, we will continue to uh, use our cell suppliers, uh, Panasonic and uh, LG and CATL, um, and so this is 100 gigawatt hours supplemental to uh, what we buy from suppliers. Um, and, uh, yeah, essentially th this, this does, like, reduce our weighted average cost of a cell because uh, if it, but it does, allows us to make a lot more cars and a lot more stationary storage. Um, and, um, and then long term, we're uh, expecting to make on the order of uh, 3,000 gigawatt hours or, or 3 terawatt hours per year. Um, 
I think we can. You know, I think we've got a good chance of, of achieving this actually before 2030. But I, I'm highly confident that we could do it by by 2030. When you look at the size of that factory on the previous page, it really shows how enabling all of these advancements are in achieving a three terawatt hour goal by 2030. And not only is all of that manufacturing innovation fantastic for enabling scale, it's also an additional 18% reduction in dollar per kilowatt hour at the battery pack level. But wait, there's more. Before we get to the more part, let's talk about this last clip. 75% reduction in investment per gigawatt hour. That's insane. And the terafactories can be smaller than gigafactories. And I don't remember if Elon said this on in this clip or a previous clip, but it's basically one line, you get seven times more production than, than what they have now, which is insane. Um, not, not so much a problem. And I think this is why the Tesla stock didn't ha see a bump in, in this last week after battery day is because the, the goals for uh, energy production it's 100 gigawatt hours by 2022. That's just Tesla producing their own cells. That doesn't have anything to do with where they're getting cells from their partners like Panasonic, CATL, and LG. And then three terawatt hours by 2030. That's just Tesla producing those cells. That is an insane amount of energy. Uh, the reason why I think the stock market did, you know, I don't know if they punished Tesla, but they weren't excited about this, excited about this is because we're two years away from a hundred gigawatt hours and we're 10 years away from three terawatt hours, which I, I think the, the stock market, and again, I don't know very much about the stock market, but it seems like it really needs to have the, what have you done for me today? Not what will you do for me in 10 years? It needs to have that instant gratification. The stock market is basically a toddler. It needs instant gratification. Otherwise, it, it, it just is going to ignore you. It's not in, what you're doing isn't important. The last thing they talked about was the energy savings. So to recap with the redesigned cell, I think it was the 4680 cell, you're getting a 14% improvement on price to manufacture these cells. And with the cell manufacturing, with the factory part of this, you're getting 18%, which we are currently up to 32% reduction in price for these cells. Next, we're going to talk about anode materials. And I have a feeling, and I don't know, could be wrong on this, but I have a feeling, a really good feeling, that we're going to save some money after this next presentation as well. So let's listen. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so we have a manufacturing system. We've got a cell design. What are the active materials we're going to put in that cell design? Let's talk about the anode first. Let's talk about silicon. Why is silicon awesome? It's awesome because it's the most abundant element in the Earth's crust after oxygen, which means it's everywhere. It's sand. Yeah. Um, sand is silicon dioxide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it happens to store nine times more lithium than graphite, which is the typical anode material in, in lithium-ion batteries today. So why isn't everybody using it? The re main reason is because the challenge with silicon is that it expands 4x when fully charged with lithium. And basically, all of that expansion stress on the particle, the particles start cracking, they start electrically isolating, you lose capacity, the energy retention of the battery starts to fade, and it also gums up with a passivation layer that has to keep reforming as the 
particles expand. Yeah, basically, with, with silicon, the cookie crumbles and gets gooey. <laughs> That's basically what happens. Good analogy. Yeah. Um, and current approaches to solve this, which exist, I mean, we have silicon in, in the cars that you're all in right now, are involved highly engineered, expensive materials uh, in, in the scheme of things. Now, they're still great, and they enable some of the benefits of silicon. They just don't enable all of it, and they're not scalable enough. And you can see some of the things that, that maybe you've heard of, SIO, silicon with, with carbon, or silicon nanowires. I mean, that's kind of the space right now. What we're proposing is a step change in capability and a, and a step change in cost. And what that really is, is to just go to the raw metallurgical silicon itself. Don't engineer the base metal. Just start with that and design for it to expand in how you think of the, the particle in the electro design and, and how you, you code it. Yeah, I'm not sure if you saw those. Basically, a dollar uh, per kilowatt hour is... Yeah. Um, basically, if, if, you, if, you, if you use simple silicon... It's dramatically less than even the silicon that is currently used in the batteries that are made today. Um, and you can use a lot more of it. The anode would cost, yeah, with this silicon, and the anode costs $1.20 a kilowatt hour. Uh. Yeah. Um, and how does it work? Start with raw metallurgical silicon, stabilize the surface with an elastic ion conducting polymer coating that is uh, applied through a very scalable approach. Um, no, 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 like chemical vapor deposition. No highly engineered, high capacity, high capex solutions, and then integrated in the electrode through a robust network formed out of a highly elastic binder. Um, and in the end, by leveraging this silicon to its potential, we can increase the range of our vehicles by an additional twenty percent. Just this uh, improvement. Yeah, it gets cheaper and longer range. Yeah, and, and when we take that anode cost reduction, we're looking at another 5% dollar per kilo, kilowatt hour reduction at the battery pack level. And there's more. <laughs> Let's talk about cathodes. What is a battery cathode? Cathodes are like bookshelves where the metal, you know, the nickel, the cobalt, the manganese, or aluminum is like the shelf, and the lithium is the book. And really, what sets apart these different metals is how many books of lithium they can fit on the shelves and how sturdy the shelves are. Cobalt uh, is a... Per, per yeah, sorry, I was just going to say, like, it, it's, it's tough to exactly figure out what the right analogy is to explain uh, cathode and, and anode, but a bookshelf is probably a pretty good one um, in the sense that um, you, you, need, you need a stable structure uh, to contain the ions. Um, so you want a structure that does not uh, crumble or get gooey or basically that, that holds its shape in both the cathode and the anode uh, as you're moving these ions, ions back and forth, uh, you, you, it needs to retain its structure. Uh, so uh, if it doesn't retain its structure, then you lose cycle life and your battery capacity drops very quickly. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and I think people are always talking about, like, oh, what's the cathode going to be? Is it NCA or whatever? You know? The thing to consider is just fundamentally what the, nickel, the, the, the metals are capable of, and that's what we have on the chart here. Dollar per kilowatt hour cathode of just the metal, using just LME, you know, London Metal Exchange prices, um, versus the energy density of just the cathode. And you can see nickel is the cheapest and the highest energy density, and that's why increasing nickel is a goal of ours and really everybody's in the energy and in the uh, battery industry. Um, but one of the reasons why cobalt is even used at all is because it is a very stable bookshelf, and the challenge with going to pure nickel is. 
stabilizing that bookshelf with only nickel. And that's what we've been working on with our high nickel cathode development, which has zero cobalt in it, leveraging novel coatings and, do novel coatings and dopants. Uh, we can get a 15% reduction in cathode dollar per kilowatt hour. Yeah. Big deal. But it's not just about nickel. You want to? Yeah, sure. Um, so in order to scale, uh, we really need to make sure that we're not constrained by total nickel availability. Um, I actually spoke with uh, the CEOs of the biggest mining companies in the world and said, uh, please make more nickel. It's <laughs> very important. Um, and so I think they are going to make more nickel. Uh, but uh, it, I, there's also, uh, you know, uh, I think we need to have a, a, a kind of a three-tiered approach to, to batteries. Um, so starting with iron, that's kind of like a medium range. And then nickel manganese as sort of a medium plus uh, intermediate. Um, and then a high nickel for long-range applications like Cybertruck and uh, the semi. Um, something like a, like a semi-truck, it's extremely important to have uh, high energy density uh, in order to get long-range. So, um, and, and just to give sort of iron a, a bit um, more time, like the, uh, although the, you know, if you look at the uh, white ounce per kilogram at the cathode level of, um, of iron, uh, it looks like nickel's twice as good. Uh, but when you've fully considered at the pack level everything else taken into account, uh, nickel is about maybe 50 or 60% better than, uh, uh, than iron. So I, iron is, not, is little better than it would seem. When you, t when you look at it at the, uh, the pack level fully considered. Um, it's, still, it's not as good as nickel. Nickel is like 50 to 60% better, uh, but it's, still pr it's actually pretty good. Um, and so, you know, good for stationary storage and for uh, medium-range applications uh, where energy density is not paramount. And then, like I said, for intermediate, uh, it's kind of a nickel manganese. Um, and it's uh, relatively straightforward to do a cathode that's uh, two-thirds nickel, one-third manganese. Uh, which would then allow uh, us to make 50% more uh, cell volume uh, with the same amount of nickel. And with very little energy trade-off. I mean, yeah. just enough to, to, to have you still want to use 100% nickel for something like a, a semi-truck, but, but really not much of a sacrifice at all. Yeah. Um, and, you know, beyond the metals, because a lot of people spend time talking about the metals, actually the cathode process itself is a big target. 35% of the cathode dollar per kilowatt hour is just in transferring it into its final form. And so we see that as a big target, and we, we decided to take that on. Um, here's a view of the traditional cathode process. Effectively, uh -huh. if you start at the left and you have the metal from the, the mine, the first thing that happens is the metal from the mine is changed into an intermediate thing called a metal sulfate, because that's just happened to be what chemists wanted a long time ago. And then, you, and then when you're making the cathode, you have to take this intermediate thing called metal sulfate, add chemicals, add a whole bunch of water, a whole bunch of stuff happens in the middle, and at the end, you get that little bit of cathode and a whole bunch of wastewater and byproducts. Yeah, it's, it's insanely complicated. Uh, if, you, if you look at the total, like, if you're just like, you know, it's a small world journey of uh, I am a nickel atom, what happens to me? And it's like, it's crazy. Like, you're going around the world three times, it's, there's like the moral equivalent of like digging the ditch, filling the ditch, and digging the ditch again. <laughs> uh, it's total madness, basically. Um, and these things just grew up as just a, they're just kind of like legacy things that uh, it's like how it was done before. And then they connected the dots, but really didn't think of the whole thing from like a first principle standpoint, saying how do we get from 
the nickel ore in the ground to the finished nickel product for a battery. Uh, and so we've, we've looked at the entire value chain and said, how can we make this as simple as possible? And that's what we're proposing here with our process. As you can see, a whole, less, a whole lot less is going on here. We get rid of the intermediate, metal, water, final pro product cathode, recirculate the water, no wastewater at all. And when you summarize all of that, it's to 66% reduction in CapEx investment, a 76 reduction in process cost, and zero wastewater. Much more scalable solution. Yeah. And then when you think about the fact that now we're actually just directly consuming the raw metal nickel powder, it dramatically simplifies the metal refining part of the whole process. So we can eliminate billions in battery-grade nickel intermediate production. It's not needed at all. Yeah. Um, and uh, we can also use that same process we showed on the previous page to directly consume the metal powder coming out of recycled electric vehicle and grid storage batteries. So this process enables both simpler mining and simpler recycling. Um, and now that we have this process, obviously we're going to go and start building our own cathode facility in North America and leveraging all of the North American resources that exist for nickel and lithium. And just doing that, just localizing our cathode supply chain and production, we can reduce miles traveled by all the materials that end up in the cathode by 80%, which is huge for cost. Yeah, I mean, to be clear, cathode production would be part of our, the, te the Tesla cell production plant. So it would just be, you know, basically, you know, uh, raw materials coming from the mine, and uh, from raw materials in the mine, out comes a battery. And on that note, the way the lithium ends up in the cell is through the cathode, so then we should obviously on-site lithium conversion as well, which is what we will do using a new process that we're going to pioneer. That's a sulfate-free process again, skip the intermediate. 33% um, reduction in lithium cost, 100% electric facility co-located with the cathode plant. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's important to note that there is a massive amount of lithium on Earth. Um, yeah. So uh, lithium is not like oil. There's a, a massive amount of it pretty much everywhere. Um, so, uh, in fact, there's, there's enough... Um, lithium in the United States to convert the entire United States fleet to electric. Like the, all the cars in the United States, there's like 300 million or something like that. Uh, every vehicle in the United States can be converted to electric using only lithium that is available in the United States. Discovered today. Well, that, yeah, what we already know is exists. People really this, haven't even been looking. Yeah, people haven't even been trying because it's just like widely available. So, yeah. um, uh, But it, it is important to say like, okay, what is the smartest way to uh, take the ore and uh, extract the lithium and, and do so in an environmentally friendly way. Um, and we actually discovered a, again, looking at a sort of first principles physics standpoint, um, in, instead of just the way it's always been done, um, is we found that uh, we can actually use table salt, uh, sodium chloride, uh, to uh, basically ex extract the lithium from the ore. Um, and uh, th this is, nobody's done this before. To the best of my knowledge, nobody's done this. Um, and it's a, a, a sort of, you know, all the elements are reusable. It's a, a very sustainable way of, of obtaining lithium. Um, and we actually, uh, uh, we, we, we actually got uh, rights to a, a lithium clay deposit in Nevada. Over um, 10,000 acres. Over 10,000 acres. Um, and then the, the nature of the mining is actually, I think, also very environmentally uh, sensitive in that we, we, we sort of take a chunk of dirt out of the ground, or remove the lithium, and then put the chunk of dirt back where it was. So it will look pretty much the same as before. 
uh, and it will not look like terrible and yeah it'll be nice <laughs> nice <Yeah. laughs> so simply mix clay with salt put it in water salt comes out with the lithium done I yeah, mean, it's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we're really excited about this, and, and there really is enough lithium in Nevada alone to electrify the entire U.S. fleet. Yeah, I guess that's true. Actually, just what's in Nevada. That's, uh, that's basically so much damn lithium on Earth, it's crazy. <laughs> um, it's one of the most common elements on the planet. Um, and eventually, as we said at the beginning, when we get to this steady state 20 terawatt hours per year of production... We will tr transfer the entire non-renewable fleet of both power plants, home heating and, 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 batter and, and industry heating, and, and vehicles to electric. And at that point, we have an awesome resource in those batteries to recycle to make new batteries. So we don't need to do any more mining at that point. And you can see why. Yeah. The, the, the difference in the, the value of the, of the material coming back from the vehicle versus the ground, you'd always go to the vehicle. And we recycle 100% of our vehicle batteries today. And actually, we are starting our pilot full-scale recycling production uh, at Gigafactory Reno next quarter to, to continue to develop this process as, as our recycling returns grow. Yeah, I mean, to date it's been done by third parties, but uh, we think we can, we can recycle the, the batteries more effectively, especially since, uh, you know, we, we know... Our batteries, we're making the same battery as the thing we're recycling. So, uh, whereas like third-party recyclers have to consider batteries of all kinds. Yeah. And, and, and just to think about what this actually means, the recycling resource is always 10 or greater years delayed because batteries last a really long time. But eventually, it is the way that, that all resources will be made available, and that's why we're investing in this recycling facility at, in Nevada. Yeah. Long-term... New batteries will come from old batteries uh, once the fleet reaches steady state. Right. Okay. So we just talked about scaling cathode and recycling. All of the benefits that you just saw are added to this benefit of a 12% reduction in dollars per kilowatt hour at the battery pack level. Almost at our have the cost goal. All right. We have a total of five sections, and we've been through four of them. And we are now at an hour and 49 minutes. So if you're still with me... Thank you so much. You're awesome. I, I predict it'll be not very many people that will listen to all this. It's so long. Anyway, um, in this section, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I got lost a little bit during some of the, the information in terms of how they're getting the, I mean, I understand that they're pulling the lithium from table salt, but just in general, there's just a lot of dense information about materials in this. And if you include the nickel and all that stuff, but the biggest thing is there's a 12% reduction in cost per kilowatt hour. So right now we're at 49% and we have one more, which is the cell vehicle integration. And we're going to listen to them. Take it right away, now. Elon. So um, there's an architecture that um, we've been wanting to do with Tesla for a long time. Uh, and we're finally, we finally figured it out. Um, and I think it's, it's the way that, all electric cars in the future will ultimately be made. Uh, it's the right way to, right way to do things. Um, so it's, it starts with uh, having a single piece casting or a single piece casting for the front body and the rear body. Um, and uh, in order to do this, we uh, commissioned the the largest casting machine that has ever been made, and it's currently working just uh, over the road at our uh, Fremont plant. Uh, we have the, the, the it's pretty sweet. Um, 
Ma- making the uh, entire, currently making the entire uh, rear section of the car in a, as a single piece, high pressure die cast aluminum. Um, and in order to do this, we actually uh, had to develop our own alloy uh, because we wanted a high strength casting alloy that not, did not require coatings or heat treatment. Uh, this is a big deal for, for castings, especially with a, la- a large casting. If you heat treat it afterwards, it, it tends to deform. It kind of like does this like potato chip thing. So it's very hard to keep a large casting uh, to have its shape. Um, so in order to achieve this, there's, there was no alloy that existed that could do this. So we developed our own alloy, a special alloy of aluminum that has high strength without heat treat and, and is very castable. Uh, so that's a you know a great achievement of our materials team. Um, in fact, in general, we've got a lot of advanced materials coming for, for Tesla that new alloys and, and materials that have never existed before. So, uh, so you're basically making this, the, the, the front and rear of the car as a single piece, um, and then that, that, that then inter- the interfaces to uh, what we call the, the structural battery, where the battery for the first time will have dual use. Uh, the battery will both have the use as an energy device and as structure. This, this is absolutely the way things are done. In, in the early days of, of aircraft, they would carry the fuel tanks as cargo. So the, the fuel tanks um, actually had, were quite difficult to, to carry. They were like basically worse than cargo. You had to, had to kind of bolt them down. Um, it was very difficult. Uh, and then somebody said, hey, what if we just make the wing tanks, what, what if we just make the fuel tank in wing shape? So uh, all modern airplanes, the fuel tank, your, your wing is just a, a, a fuel tank in wing shape. This is absolutely the way to do it. Um, and then the, the, the fuel tank serves as dual structure. Um, and it's, not, it's no longer cargo. It's, it's fundamental to the structure of the aircraft. This was a major breakthrough. Um, we're doing the same for cars. So, so, so this is really quite profound. Uh, the, effectively, the, the non-cell portion of the battery has negative mass. So it, we, we save so much mass in the rest of the vehicle. We, we save more mass in the rest of the vehicle than the non-cell portion of the battery. So it's like, well, how, how do you really minimize the mass of a battery? Make it negative. Make the battery, non-cell portion of the battery pack negative. Um, so um, it also allows us to pack the cells more densely because we do not have uh, intermediate structure in the battery pack. So instead of having these, like, uh, supports and stabilizers and stringers and structural elements in the battery, we now have a lot more space in the battery because the pack itself is structural. Um, the, and what we do is essentially, um, like, what we, like we, instead of having just um, a filler that is a flame retardant, which is currently what is, is in the 3NY battery packs, we have a filler that is a, a structural adhesive, um, as well as flame retardant. So it effectively glues the cells to the top and bottom sheet. And this allows you to do shear transfer between the upper and lower sheet. Just like uh, if you have like a Formula One uh, craft or like a, a racing boat, and you have uh, carbon fiber face sheets and, say, aluminum honeycomb between them, uh, this uh, gives you incredible stiffness. Um, and it's really the way that, that any super fast thing works is uh, you, you, you create a... Um, basically a, a, a honeycomb sandwich with, with two uh, face sheets. Uh, this is actually even better than what aircraft do, because aircraft do not do this. Um, they, they can't do this because fuel is liquid. So <laughs> in our case, the batteries are solid. So we can actually use the, sh- the, the steel shell case of the battery to transfer uh, sh- uh, shear from the upper and lower face sheet 
which makes for an incredibly stiff structure, even stiffer than a regular car. Yeah. In, in fact, if this was, if, if this was an, in a, uh, in a, uh, like a, a convertible uh, that had no upper structure, it would be stiffer than, that convertible would be stiffer than a regular car. So this is, it's just really, to ha- it's a pro- really major. Um, so it improves the mass efficiency of the battery. Um, and then the, those castings are also quite important because you want to transfer load into the structural battery pack uh, in a very smooth, continuous way. Um, so you don't um, put uh, arbitrary point loads into the battery. Um, so you, you kind of have to, you, you want to sort of feather the load out from the front and rear uh, into the structural battery. Um, it also allows us to uh, use, uh, to, to move the, the cells uh, closer to the center of the, of the car. Um, because we don't have the, 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 the in the top one, we've got that sort of all the supports and stuff. So the, the volumetric efficiency of the structural pack is, is much better than a non-structural pack. And we actually bring the cells closer to the center. Um, and uh, because they're closer to the center, the, uh, it reduces the probability of, uh, of a side impact uh, potentially contacting the cells. Because it has to go, any kind of side impact has to go further in order to reach the cells. Uh, it also proves... Uh, what's called the polar moment of inertia, uh, which is that you can think of like when there's a like a ice skater uh, arms out or arms in. Arms in, you rotate faster. So if you can re- uh, bring things closer to the center, you reduce the polar moment of inertia, and that means you can you, the car maneuvers better. It just feels better. You don't want to know why, but it just it just feels more agile. So it, it's it's really cool. This is really major. Um, like I said, so 10 percent mass reduction in, in the body of the car. 14% range increase, uh, 370 fewer parts. So, I mean, I, re- I really think that, that long-term, in any cars that do not uh, take this architecture will not be competitive. And it's not just at the product level a better product, um, but in the factory, it's a massive simplification. You saw the part removal. Um, you know, it's casting machines. It's the structural battery pack. So we're looking at over 50% reduction in investment per gigawatt hour, 35% reduction in floor space, and we'll continue to improve that as we make the vehicle factory of the future. Yeah, so it's major improvements on, on all fronts from the cell all the way to the, the vehicle. Um, and in addition to the improvements we just said on enabling additional range and improving the structural performance of the vehicle, it is worth another 7% dollar per kilowatt hour reduction at the battery pack level, bringing our total reductions now to 56% dollars per kilowatt. Honestly, Tesla's materials team, I mean, Tesla's team in general is killing it, but their materials team and their manufacturing team is killing it right now. Um, sorry, my antiquated paper notes ruffling in the background here. Single piece casting sounds like they're doing the front and the back. Although I don't think the front casting machine is up and running yet, but it could be wrong. But they're doing this for the Model Y. It gives them a 40% underbody savings, and it reduces 79 parts just in the rear, which is amazing. And it simplifies manufacturing. It's going to save them money. They developed their own alloy. The battery pack itself is going to be an integral part of the structure of the car. That's huge. And then there's going to be some, uh, because they didn't have to put all the stabilizers and things in there, there's going to be some crumple zones. So if it's a side impact it's less likely that that is going to touch those battery cells and potentially start a fire or cause some sort of problem. So it's safer. So that's awesome as well. 
Um, this is really well thought out. 370 fewer parts, uh, 7% savings, which brings the kilowatt hour, kilowatt, uh, the price per kilowatt hour down 56%, which is amazing. In our next clip, we're going to hear Drew and Elon uh, just kind of wrap everything up. Just be warned, as they do this, you're going to hear a lot of honking in the background. All right, so stacking it up. We're not just talking about uh, cost or range. We've got to look at all the facets. So range increase, we're unlocking up to 54% increase in range for our vehicles and energy density for our energy products. Uh, 56% reduction in dollars per kilowatt hour at the battery pack level and a 69% reduction in investment per gigawatt hour, which is the true enabler when we talk back about how do we achieve this scale problem here. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so, um, I think it's pretty nice that investment per kilowatt per gigawatt hour reduction is 69%. I mean, who would have thought? Yeah. (laughs) Just happened to happen (laughs) out that way. I mean, 0.420%, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so w- what, what this res- uh, enables uh, us to do is achieve a new trajectory in the reduction of, of uh, cell cost. And um, now, t- to be clear, it will take us probably a year to 18 months to start realizing these, uh, these advantages. And probably to fully realize the advantages, probably it's about three years or thereabouts. So... Um, you know, it, it's it's not like uh, if we could do this instantly, we would. Um, <laughs> but it, it's it's really, um, I think, what this bodes for, it just really bodes well for the future and means that the long term scaling of of Tesla and 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 uh, the sustainable energy products that we make will be uh, massively increased. So uh, you know, what tends to happen as companies get bigger is things tend to slow down. Um, well, actually, they're going to speed up. And they have to speed up if we're going to accelerate the transition to sustainable energy. Yeah. I mean, long term, we, you know, we want to try to uh, replace about you know, uh, at least 1% of the total vehicle fleet on Earth, which is about 2 billion vehicles. So long term, we want to try to make about 20 million vehicles a year. <laughs> but I think it's important to point out that when we talked about three terawatt hours by 2030, the problem is a 20 terawatt hour problem. So everybody needs to be uh, accelerating their efforts to accomplish these objectives. Doesn't matter where you are in the value chain, there is a ton to do. You need to rethink from first principles how you do it so that you can scale to meet all of our objectives. Yep. I don't have a lot more to add here. I do agree that everyone needs to... um contribute, not just Tesla or vehicle companies or energy companies. Everybody needs to contribute some to, to make this change work, whether that's for uh, the world that we live in have far less pollution, or if you believe in climate change, then, you know, uh, to, to help reverse the, the effects that have happened from climate change. One of the things I thought was interesting was 20 million vehicles a year that Tesla wants to sell. Just to give you an example of what that number looks like, I looked it up. In 2018, Ford sold just under 6 million vehicles a year worldwide. And then in 2017, they were just under 7 million vehicles a year worldwide. So 20 million vehicles a year is a pretty insane number. 
I think we can all agree on that. But who knows? Maybe Tesla can do it. They are, at least in recent years, they are extremely focused on their mission. Um, when I first started doing this podcast, you know, Tesla was kind of all over the place. And in recent years, they've really, you know, cut away a lot of the fat and they've become very focused. And I don't know, for uh, them to do a presentation like this, just to general folks who who love their brand says a lot because there's a lot of technical information in here even though they've dumbed a lot of it down so folks like me can understand it there's still quite a bit of technical information and i don't see any other company going out and saying hey look you know they're not telling they're not exactly telling us how they make the donuts but they are giving us a really good overview on how they make the donuts which is i don't know it's just a, a very the whole thing, this whole presentation is very nerdy and very cool. And this is why I do this podcast, because it's really exciting. The next thing we're going to listen to is they're going to talk about what comes next for Tesla. So let's listen to that. Uh, what does it mean? For, what, does this, what does this mean for our future products? Uh, so, uh, we, you know, we're confident that long term we can design and, and manufacture a, a, a compelling $25,000 electric vehicle. You know, this, this, this has always been our dream from the beginning of the company. I even, like, wrote a blog piece about it um, because, um, you know, our first car was, was an expensive sports car, and, and then, it was, then it was, like, slightly less expensive sedan, and then finally sort of a, I don't know, mass market premium, but, you know, like the Model 3 and Model Y. Um, but it really it was always our goal to try to make an affordable electric car. And um, I think probably, uh, like I said, about about three years from now, uh, we're confident we can make a very com a, a very compelling twenty five thousand dollar electric vehicle uh, that's also fully autonomous. And when you think about the twenty five thousand dollar price point, you have to consider how much in it, how much less expensive it is to own an electric vehicle. Yeah. So yeah. actually, it, it's it, it becomes even more affordable at that twenty five thousand dollar price point. Yeah. So we have uh, and extreme performance and range. Um, and uh, we should probably talk about uh, the you know Model S Plaid. You know what about that? Woo! So uh, yeah, anyway, we we, we took the la latest Plaid out to Laguna Seca on Sunday. It got um, a minute thirty, um, and uh, we think probably there's another three seconds or more to take off that time. Uh, so uh, we're confident the Model S Plaid will achieve the uh, the best track time of any production vehicle ever, of any kind, two door or otherwise. Um, and you can order it now, uh, and it's uh, available uh, uh, basically end of next year. So Elon basically went from, we're going to build you a $25,000 car because it's the right thing to do, and it's our goal, to introducing Model S Plaid, which tops out just over $156,000. Now, this car is amazingly specced. It's going to be available sometime in 2021, early 2021. Um yeah, I mean, from one end of the spectrum right to the other. So what's next for Tesla? $25,000 vehicle. Again, I talked about this earlier in the podcast. That's a goal. I don't know if that's a reality, but they should have that car here within three years, which I think even if Tesla can't quite hit that mark, I think that's pretty impressive. And I think that's great for everybody else who can't afford a car in the thirty-five to forty thousand dollar range, at just to begin with, you know, these cars are are very expensive. They're outside of a lot of people's price range. So, and and outside, even if it's not maybe outside your price range, maybe it's outside your comfort level. 
to spend that much on a vehicle. There's a lot of people out there who are like that as well. I would put myself in that category. Moving along, up next is the Q&A section. Um, I did not include every question in the Q&A because the Q&A went on for like 38 minutes. So just so you know, uh, I, I cherry-picked these to kind of keep the, the <laughs> this ridiculously long podcast a little bit shorter. You know, I was having a conversation with my wife because just kind of, again, peek behind the kimono here. It is now Saturday at uh, 4 o'clock, and I'm still working on this podcast. Now, I had to do other things in there like, you know, yard work and stuff like that. But um, my wife's like, nobody wants to hear you talk for three hours. She's like, I, I married you. I don't want to hear you talk for three hours. <laughs> so, well, she actually said, I marry you. I married you and I love you. And I don't want to hear you talk for three hours. So it's kind of funny. But anyway, um, yeah, let's listen to the Q&A. Uh, Elon, uh, great job with everything that you're doing. Thrust Gerber from Gerber Kawasaki. Uh, your team's amazing. What I'm most curious about, these innovations are incredible. But on my drive up here, fully on autopilot for 400 miles, the entire state is brown. And this is ultimately about climate. Has there been some analysis done if all these things are achieved? What will its direct impact be on climate? Uh, well, I mean, the, the, I think it will have a very significant impact because it will stop the, um, the CO2 PPM from growing uh, as it is every year. Um, and, I mean, I should say, like, you know, um, you know I try to view the, the whole climate thing for, you know, as a science question as much as possible. You know, science, you always question your hypothesis. Is it true? Is it not true? Or assign a probability to a given hypothesis. And I should say that my, my original interest in electric vehicles uh, predates the climate issue. Um, like just when I was in high school, was like, I thought, man, if, if we don't figure out electric cars, the whole economy is going to collapse when we run out of oil. So it's like, we better figure out electric cars uh, and sustainable energy or civilization is going to crumble. Um, and then uh, it was only kind of later that the uh, significance of the, the climate risk uh, became apparent. Um, and uh, we were also able, uh, using fracking and other types of technology, to access a lot more uh, fossil fuels than previously thought, um, which is, you know, uh, helpful for lowering the cost of gasoline, but it's pretty bad for uh, the total uh, tonnage of CO2 that you could put in the atmosphere. It's now greatly beyond what pe people previously thought. So, um, but, but this is, you know, as we were just going through this presentation, it's like it is an absolutely monumental task to accelerate uh, the advent of sustainable energy. Uh, I mean, the entire global economy is still, you know, more than 99% dependent on, or quote, roughly 99% dependent on fossil fuels. Um, so although electric cars kind of get a lot of press right now, they, they, they're still, and, and, and there's still very few, as a percentage of the total global fleet, is practically nothing. It's, I would say, yes, less than 1% of the global fleet is electric right now. Um, you know, because of two, 2 billion cars and trucks and whatnot in use. So, so there's a massive uh, amount of work ahead, just, in, just insane, like hard to comprehend how much work is ahead to uh, get the new vehicle production to be sustainable uh, to um, massively increase the amount of stationary storage, which is critical because uh, renewable energy is, is intermittent. Uh, wind and solar is, is intermittent. Sometimes the wind doesn't blow, and, some, and this, obviously the sun doesn't shine at night. So 
you've you got to have batteries, um, a massive, massive number of batteries. So it's yeah, it's hard to measure in direct impact, but it's it's an experiment that we shouldn't be performing. And the sooner we can sort yeah. of end the experiment, the sooner we can kind of move on in a fully sustainable way that is actually lower cost. I mean, I think the thing that people yeah. haven't fully internalized is once we do get to the 25K car, the ownership cost of that car is incredibly lower than the prior car. And then on the solar side and wind, with the cost of solar and wind coming down and with batteries coming down w- with them, the actual cost of energy on the grid is going down. So we're, we're sort of moving to our, towards a sustainable lower cost future. So there's not really a sacrifice. That's true. It is a false dichotomy to say that it's like it's either prosperity or sustainability. Uh, This is often used, you know, by oil and gas to say like, oh, well, do you want people to lose their jobs? Do you want to have you want lower people standards standards of living? Do you want to, you know, make all these economic sacrifices, uh, really, in in order to have sustainability? And the reality, as Drew was saying, uh, is that. a sustainable energy is going to be lower cost, not higher cost than uh, fossil fuels. That's a great question. Um, I skipped over some of the other public questions. Ryan McCaffrey asked something about uh, Cybertruck. He's from the uh, Ride the Lightning podcast. He asked whether or not Tesla would be able to sell vehicles in Tesla by the time they're actually producing vehicles in Tesla. And Elon, you know, kind of skipped over that a little bit. But one of the things that I thought was interesting was he said that Cybertruck will be built for the American market because it doesn't make any sense to build it uh, globally. So I guess if there's going to be a Cybertruck in Europe, it'll be different than the Cybertruck in the United States or North American market, I should probably say. Not specific to the United States because, you know, Canada and Mexico, uh, I think a Cybertruck would do well. And anyway, um, we've heard that before, and it was reiterated here. So let's go to our next question. Thinking long-term, um, is there any other segments that this new battery will be able to disrupt or electrify um, beyond just the initial Model 2 or cheaper sedan, like a boat, boring company loop, plane? Boat? Where are you, Golly? Oh, are you there? What's up? Right here. Okay, great. I'm uh, yeah, it's, just it's like, like, it's like ventriloquism future. here, you know, it's like uh, <laughs> we just get the sound out of the speaker and you can't tell where the heck it's coming from. <laughs> yeah, any hints or is the Model 2 such a big deal because it decreases the cost of transportation that that is really the disruption? Or should we get hyped that this new cost curve opens up different vehicle categories like a high passenger density bus, boring loop, boat, plane? Um, well, uh, I mean, there's... There, there are batteries in limited production right now that do exceed 400 uh, watt-hours per kilogram, which I think is about the number you need for uh, decent-range, medium-range uh, aircraft. Um, and uh, I think our batteries will, over time, start to approach the 400 watt-hours per kilogram range as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think over time we'll see all modes of transport, uh, with the ironic exception of rockets, uh, transition to sustainability, um, or to, to electric, basically. Um, on the on the rocket front, uh, what we're planning to do is uh, like about eighty percent of Starship is oxi- is uh, liquid oxygen, um, and uh, we're actually already uh, running running a power line to be able to use wind power to create the liquid oxygen. So we're making you know some decent progress on uh, sustainability on the rocket front, but there's just no way to have an electric rocket, um, and it's important for the future of uh, life and consciousness that we become a multi-planet species. So i uh, got to keep doing that. 
All right, we have met our mandatory and legal quota of talking about rockets at a Tesla event. So I'm really glad because otherwise this would be an illegal podcast and I might get arrested or imprisoned or something. In our next clip, we're going to talk about, which speaking of, you have to have this on every single Tesla event, vehicle to grid. Let's listen. Vehicle to grid. We get asked that a lot. <laughs> I think one thing that's important to note is the uh, vehicle to grid, uh, it, it doesn't, unless you have a, power cutoff like you need to cut off your main supply to the grid otherwise if you're if you lose the power in your house you'll basically just backflow uh, energy to the grid so just having a, a reversal in the in the power flow does not actually uh, keep the lights on um, you, you need a whole separate system to cut off power to the grid um, and I think there's also the case that people really want the freedom to be able to drive and to uh, charge at their house and it, it's obviously very really problematic if uh you know you get to morning and your car uh, instead of being charged it it discharged uh, into the house and then you, you you sort of okay now i can either drive or use the battery to power my house uh i, I think it, it's actually going to be better for people's freedom of action to have a power wall um and a car separate um and then, you, then it's uh, you know everything works. The, the the you know, and you add that you basically combine that with solar, either solar retrofit or solar glass, solar glass roof, um, and a local battery storage. So you basically become your own utility. Um, and then the the car is uh, you know can be charged also with solar. Um, I, I think that's like the stuff that works. Uh, you know that said, like we can certainly do vehicle to grid. Um, I think we can, like, we can basically enable that with software in Europe or something, right? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> um, we are future generations of power electronics. We will be able to do this more or less everywhere from a like energy market participation perspective. But, but yeah, from a backing up the house, and it just so happens that the way the North American connectors are on all the cars in North America, it doesn't matter whether it's the Tesla connector or the the connector that the other vehicles have doesn't actually support powering your home. It's unfortunate. So you'd need a, a, an additional hardware to do that. Um, but, but, but yeah, in the future, all, all versions of our vehicles will be able to at least do bidirectional power flow for the purposes of energy market participation. But even for that, it's important to remember that your car isn't plugged in 24-7. So it's kind of an unpredictable uh, resource for the grid. It'll have a value, but it's not the same as a stationary battery pack. Yeah, honestly, a vehicle to grid uh, sounds good, but I think actually has a much lower utility than people think. Um, I, I think very, very few people would actually use vehicle to grid. And we, we actually had, with the original Roadster, we had uh, vehicle to grid capabilities. Nobody used it. So it sounds like maybe at some point this might be a thing, uh, maybe, in the United States. It could definitely be happening in Europe with a software update, so that's cool. Um, one of the questions earlier that I did not include in this uh, they were asking about different materials and things like that, like the nickel and stuff like that. And the gentleman made the reference of the spice must flow, which I am reading Dune right now. So um, actually, I'm listening to Dune because that book is really long and I don't, I don't have the time to read it. So I listen to it when I do like yard work and stuff. So the spice must flow. Anyway, let's listen to the next question. Hey. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Uh, this is Jordan from Mark Asset Management. Um, 
So you've talked about the importance of the factory and you've mentioned the ground up design process and a lot of the new things that you're going to be doing or started to do in Shanghai, Berlin and Austin. Can you just maybe help us understand and, and quantify like how financially meaningful all of those improvements will be? And then given what you're trying to accomplish as a company, is it fair to assume that the vast majority of improvement will be given back to the customer in the form of lower prices? Um, yeah, I mean, it's. It, I think certainly uh, we will uh, try to give back as much as possible to the customers. It's not like you know, it's not like Tesla's profitability is crazy high. Uh, you know, our, our average profitability for the last four quarters is like maybe one percent. So, uh, just to be clear, it's not like you know we're minting money. Uh, our valuation makes it seem like we are, but we're not. Um, so uh, we, we we do want to try to make the price as as competitive as we can without like losing money and. If you lose money, then you you know you keep doing. If you keep losing money, you'll die. So we have to. Uh, this thing called profit is just like we need to bring in more money than we spend. Otherwise, we're dead. <laughs> so, but affordability is key to how we scale, yeah. right? Like the demand goes nonlinear as you reduce the the price of the car. Yeah, it's, I mean it's important to, to sort of separate the the difference between affordability and value for money uh, or desirability of the product. So, uh, you know, for a lot of people, they want to buy a Tesla. They simply don't have enough money. Um, we could make the car infinitely desirable, but if somebody does not have enough money, they can't buy it. Um, uh, sometimes, you know, uh, people, you know, kind of forget this. It's like, it's it's not, it's like, somebody, ha- people have to have enough money to buy the car. Um, and, and just making a car super desirable but expensive does not m- mean they can afford it. So it's absolutely important that critical that we make cars that people can, that people can actually afford. I wholeheartedly 100% endorse that last statement. And I 100% endorse this statement. This podcast is over. We are done. That's the whole thing, the whole shebang. Um, I hope you all enjoyed it. It got really nerdy, which is the stuff that I like, if I'm being 100% honest with you. So hopefully you like that as well. And yeah, now I just got to do a little bit of editing on this bad boy. And then I get to put it out. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. Let me know if you listened all the way through. You can hit me up on Twitter at 918digital. That's 918digital. Also, you can email me, Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital.com. I think Tesla put together a fantastic presentation full of great information. In terms of Tesla news, if you're going to compare it to a holiday, this is a Thanksgiving holiday dinner. There is so much to digest in this. Um, I'm pretty sure most of you are just going to be conked out on the couch uh, 20 minutes after listening to this monstrosity of a podcast. But I do want to thank everybody for listening. It it really does mean a lot that you're still here. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just have a great week.
All right. Well, I guess uh, uh, thank you everyone for coming. I uh, hope you like the presentation. Uh, very exciting future ahead. Um, you know, uh, we're going to work our damnedest to transition the world to sustainable energy as quickly as possible, um, and your support and help is is key to that uh, success. So uh, thanks again. Uh, super appreciated, um, and look forward to the next event. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.